Hello and welcome to the Back Page, a video games podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, how was your working week of hell? As I don't know if you put it that way, but um, certainly it sounded like you took on too much work and then were going to collapse under the weight of your own hubris trying to finish the damn stuff. <laughs> yeah, I, I agreed to do lots of stuff and then loads of things collided at the same time and yeah, it ended up being a real slog. Um, so... You've caught me at my most week, where I'm most likely to botch this N64 mini draft. Every time we do a draft episode, Matthew, you come in with some kind of excuse, or like position <laughs> yourself as the underdog, or <laughs> it's like, oh, it's just humble old Matthew Castle Productions, <laughs> like uh, you know, just like mom and pop used to make. Well, uh, you know, for those that have been following this podcast, they'll know that I don't have a, a particularly strong success rate with winning these polls. Um, I don't think I've ever been, like, resoundly trounced. No, I think in both cases it was about 55 to 45% in the voting. But um, I think some of those were sympathetic votes for me. Uh, I don't I don't, I don't, wouldn't like to comment because it would look embarrassing for me. What I will say <laughs> is you're probably due a win. And I, I would expect that you'll win this one based on your knowledge, but we'll see how it goes. Oh. So... For those listening at home who have been following the podcast, you'll know that we've done a PS2 mini draft. That was a great episode that was really well received. Had more than 300 votes, and uh, ultimately my PS2 mini was elected the winner. And we also did the game developer draft episode, which was our first draft, and that was um, that was a fun one. It was a key part of Backpage Law because it established the fake video games companies that me and Matthew are now synonymous with. So that was fun. But this time we're going to do a hypothetical N64 mini draft. So, again, this console doesn't actually exist, but there was a big spate of retro sort of like miniature versions of consoles that popped up over the last few years. But now the next gen's here. It feels like they're not a priority in the same way that they were. But I would say that some of the more interesting consoles never got a shout, and the N64 is definitely one of those. So in this episode we're each going to pick 10 games we're going to compete to pick the best 10 games on the n64 and we'll put it up on twitter as a a vote you can go vote for who picked the best games and then in a future episode we'll address who the winner was so it's a fun competition people get engaged with this stuff matthew how are you feeling about this draft i am feeling quite nervous because i feel like it's my home turf so I should, in theory, win or feel kind of confident, at least comfortable. But at the same time, because I've got a bit of a mad broken brain, it's trying to push me in the direction of of some quite sort of um, sort of esoteric stuff. And I'm just desperate to not bodge this by trying to be too clever or weird. <laughs> yeah. What's interesting about this is that Matthew picked the categories this time. I obviously approved the categories. 
And they are more what I would describe as shifting sands categories, where one pick in one may shift what you pick for another. Like, they they interlock a lot more than the yeah. PS2 ones did. The PS2 ones, I treated like little islands, really. They're all quite different from each other. Yeah. It, yeah. I, I wanted there to be more angles of attack on certain parts of the library, but I also realised that once you remove a couple of key titles, like, everything you do around that can change. Uh, you know, I have a vague idea of what I want, but I also know that if you pick certain games, I've got to take the list in a different direction. Yeah, I'm largely in the same boat. I think it might end up being a bit more tactical than the PS2 <laughs> one was. And that was already pretty tactical. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, I think it. I, I actually think as well, whoever goes first might just win it outright because you're in such a powerful position at that point. Because uh, the interesting thing is, we'll, we'll talk about the N64 kind of like an overview of it in a minute but there is an elite tier of games that you kind of need to get off the board as quickly as possible and then what you put around that ends up being kind of interesting color to shape your list but you sense that those big games are probably the ones that will win it for you is that how you felt about the library yes though like i was saying there's a bit of my brain that's like well we know some of these games so well isn't this an opportunity to surface some interesting stuff and you know i keep thinking about you know what's the what makes the most commercial sense for an N64 mini and the N64 mini that I personally would like to play yeah um because as I'm sure when we talk about the N64 itself it's it was a very expensive console and I think people's experience of it isn't as wide as their experience of other consoles they may have owned yeah. so I, I almost want to kind of play up to that but at the same time there's some things you're like I have to have that there's like good boring choices yeah. And there are, like, weird, exciting choices. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Uh, let's go straight into it, Matthew, because, you know, I think we picked this because, A, I think it's the 20th anniversary of the N64 launching in North America we're doing this, or something like that. The 25th anniversary. Yeah, sorry, 25th, yeah. yeah. Good God, good God, we're old. Um, yeah, so that was uh, the reason why we kind of had this in the in the books for a little while. We thought, okay, something specifically on the N64 would be fun. We were going to do a best of list, but then we thought of, the drafts are just so fun. They're so competitive. They make for great podcasts. We thought that this would be um, <laughs> a better way of doing it. So let's talk about why we we like the N64 then, Matthew. I think you've ta- you've tapped into it there. there. The people's relationship with this console, it wasn't only like 40 games. It was only like 10, 10 to 20 games. Yeah. And those were the canonical like good games. And as we've discussed in previous episodes... There would also be like a couple of total dog shit games in there as well, like um, a tie-in or like something like um, Clay Fighter uh, or, you know, something like that, um, you know, or a Turok, which I'm not saying is shit, but Turok is, um, you know, I know it's got like a, a something of a hardcore reputation, but they're, they're, sl- they're quite ropey FPS games even by the um, standards of the time. So... How do you feel about the N64 looking back, Matthew? It's it's very, very difficult to like untangle from like my formative gaming years. So some things are kind of enshrined as almost like sacred texts because of this. It's a weird console in that it has a lot of like genre-defining games or a couple of, of really vital genre-defining games. So it's like a super important console. But like you say, at the same time, I feel like I didn't get to enjoy the full extent of the machine. Um, just due to like how old I was and that I was de- basically dependent on Christmas and birthday presents to get new games. The fact that they were really expensive, like ruled it out. This wasn't like a pocket money 
games console at all though weirdly on the flip side of that i feel like i kind of lived a lot of the n64 sort of sort of vicariously through n64 magazine that's something very key to this time i think even though a lot of people didn't own a lot of n64 games we've all got opinions on n64 games we didn't own a lot of those are absorbed just from that magazine or your respective magazine at the time like literally certain games reputations were basically made, in the UK at least, by the opinion of one bloke in N64. <laughs> and, oh, then, yeah. and then, like, everyone parroted those views, and mm. we just assumed that they were right, because you weren't going to buy it. So that's kind of interesting, you know, doing some, like, research. and Because I must admit, I haven't, like, looked massively into N64. You know, I don't, on a day-to-day basis, like, read much about it. And actually just seeing what the state of, like, the appreciation was or is at the moment was quite kind of interesting on YouTube, like what games people do and don't rate. You know, there were some sort of slightly surprising picks in there, I thought. Is it, what's, the th- what's the thing that surprised you most from digging into that? <laughs> I mean, there's just some, like, there's just some, like, wild... I, I saw a couple of people who were like, uh, the world is not enough is better than GoldenEye takes. <laughs> okay, which, that's obviously... Which is, I mean, that is powerfully wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Because um, I had both those games, so I feel like that isn't like a... Ha- had you actually bought The World It's Not Enough, you would have discovered it was this hidden gem. It's not terrible, but it is also not GoldenEye. That was a wild one. Um, I saw <laughs> I saw a very um, a very valiant attempt to reappraise Mission Impossible, <laughs> which, which really made me chuckle, because I didn't own it, but I did play it, and it was like this really rotten, like, proto-Hitman, but, like, super prescribed, very wonky but it let you do the bit where you went down on the rope in the, in the vault. So I think people went a bit loopy for it. Yeah. The thing I found about N64 is that my relationship with a lot of these games, I feel like they had the kind of longevity and legs that games just don't have anymore. And I can't work out if that's like an inherent quality in the game or if it's just the fact that we had so few games, we had to replay what we had. That's that's the thing I can I can never quite work out with N64. It's like, were they better? Or did we just have more time and more multiplayer time and fewer games so they became these life-consuming things? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I think that the multiplayer thing is obviously important to tap into there because it's a console that's got uh, four controller ports on the front which, mm. you know, is like a, a statement of intent about how you're meant to enjoy that console, right? And so, you know, in in my life, the N64 was a thing that existed around every single kid's house. And then right. you would go there, you would play GoldenEye. <laughs> Some kids would have Mario Kart. Every kid would have GoldenEye. And, you know, you would play that relentlessly. And even if you weren't playing the multiplayer and you redid the single player, obviously GoldenEye was structured to be replayed in terms of how you unlocked cheats and also the um, obviously the difficulty settings and um, trying to beat those times in order to unlock the cheats. So, you know, that was like a, a multi-layered game. Likewise, Perfect Dark is a game where, you know, to unlock the more interesting like bot uh, multiplayer stuff and, and additional cool cool things to use in multiplayer requires a time commitment, basically. So mm. I think that that combined with the fact that you've got loads of platformers which are heavy on, you know, collecting. I think like um, Donkey Kong 64 is the most famous, infamous, I should say, for like yeah. making you collect stuff. And I think, yeah, these games were built to last in a lot of cases. And mm. the games you're talking about probably only represent a small bit of the catalogue, but they were they were sort of key. Even something like Star Fox 64, structured to be replayed over and over again. You can do different combinations to those levels. 
And mm. um, you know, you have to because that game's only about two hours long. So what can you do? But yeah, I think that I think you I think you're right there, Matthew. But um, I don't necessarily think it means that subsequent generations are any less were any less kind of replayable. It's more maybe more that like like you say, it's a time thing. You know, you just mm. had the time to endlessly throw at this console. I, I guess there are 14 year olds now who are putting the same kind of time that we put into this. They're now putting into Switch or probably some endless thousand hours of Dota or something. Yeah, I was going to say Switch is uh, optimistic. I would say, you know, definitely <laughs> Fortnite or another yeah. games as service game, you know. Um, but yeah, or GTA Online. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I uh, I wanted to ask him, Matthew. So, we talked about this a little bit before, but... How did the N64 lose so badly in this generation when it was such a persistent part of like every millennial's young life, it seemed like, especially in the UK? If you didn't have one, like someone someone you knew had one. That's like mm. like I say, someone had Goldeneye and you weren't playing it. it. Just every kid I knew had played Goldeneye and it was such a massive part of like, you know, our childhood basically in terms of how how we um how we played games. So, what why is it that this this console's like reputation seems outsized when it obviously wasn't the big seller of this generation. I think some of it's a matter of perspective. I think the rumours of its failure are slightly exaggerated because when you put it next to PlayStation, yes, you know, PlayStation absolutely stomps it. But I think the headline there is more PlayStation ushers in a new age of, like, phenomenon home consoles rather than the N64 is, like, some massive... Massive bust. Like N64 sells more than Mega Drive, fundamentally, you know, across the world, you know, and you wouldn't think, you know, you think of that as just a very prolific, uh, relevant console too. But it's just when you put those numbers next to 100 million PlayStations, I think it sells, what, 33 million the N64? So, like, you know, there's that. And also, like you say, I think the multiplayer aspect means this spreads into a lots of lives. It's like a weirdly viral console because of that. Like, you don't have to have one to have experienced N64. In fact, most a lot of people didn't. I also think it's just such core territory. You know, the games it was making were so important that, like, tastemakers, like, your real core gamers, I don't want to say, like, just journalists, because this is beyond journalists. It's like journalist forums, online vocal voices played N64. So it's got a lot of people who kind of, who can sort of spread that message and maybe not exaggerate how popular it is, but definitely amplify that. Like, I feel like it's a really well-chronicled console because the kind of people it appealed to are the kind of people who went on to talk a lot about games. So it's kind of exaggerated. It's a bit like now you get these games where you think, like, everyone knows that, like, Akami is a masterpiece, and then it's actually sold, like, eight copies, you know? there's mm. a, I think there are a lot of examples of this, where something niche, but it's just such a loud niche, you know, it, it feels much bigger than it actually was. Kane Lynch 2. Well, not yeah, not not quite. <laughs> I just think if everyone who gets to talk about video games, particularly like journalists, are into it, you know, you, you know, you wouldn't, you just wouldn't, you have to have experienced some of these games. I mean, at the time, I hadn't like, I, you know, as a person who owned one. I wasn't like, oh man, I own this losing console. My feeling was, I own this rad console with the best games in the world. Like, man, I pity people with a PlayStation. Uh, I just don't think it crossed into your minds. That, you know, maybe the culture back then, like, we didn't care about business. Like, that's something that's kind of infected the discourse. 
as mm. it's become like a 24-hour news cycle. You, know, you need something to fill that time. So we've become more obsessed with numbers. Back then, I don't think anyone really gave a shit. You gave a shit when like your favourite company closed down and then you were like, oh, I guess Sega had bust you know, on, in the console space after all. But I don't think that like played on your mind at all. Yeah, I think you're right there. And um, numbers, arguably the least interesting part of games... You know, oh. games coverage, but it gets a lot of attention. Yeah. And yeah, perhaps I'm infecting this podcast by even mentioning it there. But I just find <laughs> it interesting because when you look at the N64 sales of 33 million, I mean, first of all, it's a lot better than the GameCube would sell, which was, yeah. you know, GameCube just had an anniversary this week. It's um, released in Japan. And there's quite a lot of, um, I think uh, I think it was uh, Cat Bailey pointed out how much revisionism there was with the, um, you know, the reputation of that console. And at the time it was like largely mocked even though it was super cheap and had some cool games, but hey. Mm. And um, yeah, this is, uh, yeah, I think you're right there. I think the numbers thing is um, is overblown. And, you know, the PS1 was just per- pervasive in a way that was kind of beyond um, any console that preceded it. I mean, the Snares only sold 48 million copies, but, sorry, you know, units, yeah. but, you know, that's... I mean, uh, like, yeah. I mean, you, know, it is de- you know, it's got to be a disappointment when you're like, in this decade, Nintendo sell like 100 million Game Boys. Yeah. Um, but the truth of it was that was you know it was downhill after the NES, and yeah, they'd always dominated the handheld, and they just kept those handhelds going for such a long time. Like that's got to play play into it. Yeah, for sure. So I was wondering, Matthew, I actually um, bought a copy of um, N64 magazine ahead of this podcast, just uh, <laughs> yeah. out of curiosity. I just on eBay, I bought one. It's really interesting to look at the review section of that month, which I think is is just three games and. <laughs> And like um, obviously some Game Boy games too, but I think um, I think maybe Banjo Two was the the lead review, something right. like that. But I was what I thought was really interesting about this console was when I hear people talk about it who were there at the time and were actively buying games, is that you would wait months and months for a new release to roll around. And I was curious yeah. if you think maybe the reputation of the console. First of all, at the time, you didn't think about that stuff because you were a kid and you were getting maybe one or two games a year, and there were easily enough games to fulfill that. And maybe that when you kind of boil down this console's library, it doesn't matter how spread out the releases were in retrospect, because looking back, there are definitely more than 20 good games for this console. So I was curious about how you you think its reputation has changed in retrospect. It fit the rhythm of most of our lives, so that that stuff didn't stand out. I don't think it's necessarily been reappraised. I think everyone knew what the really good games were at the time. I you know, I said I went onto YouTube and saw some interesting takes, but that's more like, you know, a, a bit of like weird sort of super hardcore fan revisionism going on there. And because so many of these games did have a tail as well, I think that papered over the cracks. And like, I really think definitely in the UK, N64 magazine played a really, really important part. They made it seem like a busier place they did really great stuff getting you like excited and talking about the future so you could sort of think about that and just that excitement helped fill a bit of a gap they were really really good at celebrating what they had you know this was before the time where like a game comes out and it's basically dead to a magazine and it's something magazines it's something good magazines have always sort of fought against where they try and you know find ways of kind of keeping the library alive and whether that's like retrospective or kind of retro sections or whatever but like I think N N sixty four had that in its blood. I mean, I think that's why I find it hard to kind of th- see this time as this great barren wasteland, just because I had these weird group of mates who I'd never met 
who'd kind of convinced me otherwise. I think what's interesting about the point you made earlier about how, um, you know, opinions were passed down from that magazine and then become sort of like, you know, law or a con- con- the canonical opinion of everyone. I think that me making that Clay Fighter joke earlier is an example of that. That was a game that I just remember being mocked in magazines at the time. And right. I, wonder if, and I think I, I did play it and I remember, I mean, it was a shocking uh, beat-em-up. I think that, I sort of like must have inherited that from somewhere. Like I must have heard about how shit this was from someone. I think someone right. told me, oh, it was like the lowest rated game in this magazine. And then you play it and it's like, oh, holy shit, this is terrible. But yeah, it's it's a time where a magazine could establish a take on something and then it will become everyone's take. Oh, That's just yeah. a, a really uh, very much a phenomenon of the, of the time, you know? Yeah, I mean, like the famous one with N64 was, was Superman 64, which is a game... Like, no one has played. Like, anyone who's ever used that as shorthand has not played that game. I've not played it. I don't know anyone who has played it outside of the reviewer who played it in that magazine. You know, <laughs> it is, ju- but it is just a universal shorthand for, like, absolute shiter, you know? Yeah. And that's just ru- I mean, it's rough, but that's also part of it. Actually, one funny thing with the N64, um, you're talking about, like, how sort of ubiquitous everyone's libraries, like, everyone basically had the same like 15 90% rated games but because of those long gaps there were de- that's where like weird stuff could sneak in maybe you got a bit hungry or maybe you had an an inconvenient birthday placement and you <laughs> had to ask for something like you couldn't not ask for a game for your birthday and so like every collection does have a couple of like quite weirdo stuff in it we had an absolutely gold standard N64 collection and Xena Warrior Princess, the fighting game. <laughs> uh, that's funny. I, I I will say this, Matthew. Our buddy Jay, but Jay Bayless, who came on the Sonic episode, oh, told yeah. me told me this week that uh, in the Brighton CX behind the glass is a copy of Superman sixty four. And a, I found it funny that the you know the people running that shop would think this is an artifact to put behind the glass to get people excited <laughs> about coming into the store. So that I found funny. <laughs> But B, yeah, the idea, like, I, I think, think about it, I, I know this is a game where Superman flies through rings, but do I only know this because I read it in, like, a magazine or that, that got passed down as this is what the game is, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, Lex Luthor says, solve my, ma- solve my maze. Yeah. He challenges that. That becomes, like, a running box out in, in um, NGC, and you're like, well, what is... I don't even really know what solve my maze... I don't really know what the context of the maze is. That Superman's yeah. being asked to solve, but I will forever associate it with that game. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so uh, you know, uh, interesting thing as well about that magazine is that it comes along in an era where I remember. No offense to the staff making it, but I remember the official mag at the time. I don't remember which publisher had it. Maybe it was EMAP or someone like that. But it was just like a pamphlet. It wasn't critical. It didn't have personality, and that would change later on. It became, it got uh, sort of like redone and became a lot more sort of vibrant as a magazine with its own voice. But I think the N64 was a bit uncontested when it came to other mags having like, you know, uh, being authorities on the subject matter. Do you think that's fair? You know, this was the era where a magazine would say like 20 page review and 18 pages of that would be like basically mega box out showing you every bit of the game and then like 50 words of review at the end um but uh, you know n64 and n64 definitely did those kind of reviews as well but they were always (laughs) you know the review itself was always much chunkier than you got in the other mags 
just much better, like just much better standard. I, I must admit, I didn't read the other N64 mags at the time. So, you know, I can remember flicking through some of the official ones and being like, nah. Um, so it's kind of hard to say, you know, like it's, 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 it's that particular group of people and their personalities and how tied they were to certain games and how obsessed they were with certain games. I mean, they really did. Uh, there's some things we kept on playing just to try and like get best scores to impress them in the magazine and things like that. Mm. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a defining part. I mean, for people who listen to this podcast outside the UK, that maybe sounds baffling because they probably haven't even heard of this magazine. Um, <laughs> but here it was like, you know, definitely an essential text. Yeah, I think most of it has been archived by um, a couple of different sources online. So if you want to go um, check it out, if you live outside the UK, then it's worth a look for sure. I imagine... People feel about this the way I felt when I listened to Retronauts Nintendo Power episode, where I was like, well, I've got no idea what this is, but it sounds like Nintendo just sent you a leaflet every month and you had a great time, which is fine, you know, like that's uh, <laughs> that's good. And um, yeah, I imagine it's just, uh, yeah, it's just quite a different uh, experience of Nintendo as a result, which is interesting because it's much more monocultural these days. Everyone buys the same mm. games at the same time and your source might be, you know, a US site or a UK site and it doesn't really matter, but that delineation was quite interesting around this time. So, Matthew, before we get into the draft then, do you think the N64 is actually that badly served these days in terms of availability? Because looking at it, I mean, the games should be in the Switch Online library. We're you know approaching the five-year five mark for the Switch, and Nintendo hasn't found a way to get N64, N64 games to play on this console, which is really mm. embarrassing, I think, but classically Nintendo. The thing is, though, you've got... On 3DS, some of the classics were re-released in um, in 3D form. And at the same time, we know that Super Mario 64 was part of the All-Stars collection that they did. And then there's also the Rare Replay collection, which has a lot of their key games. If you own a Wii U, you can weirdly piece together most of the major games. Um, if you're willing to spend $8.99 per game, which I think is way too much for what they are. But there is a way to essentially have this library on tap maybe not a convenient way but i was wondering how you felt about the availability of it these days i, th- I think you're right like there are those routes to it but it's it's the absolute highlight it feels like it is all the games everyone owned and like none none of the interesting ones like there are lots of let lost n64 games outside of that like virtual console ecosystem maybe just partly because half of the publishers don't exist anymore and things like that that played into some of my thinking in terms of wanting to maybe build an n64 mini that does open a door on some of that stuff because i feel like if if they are going to bring them to the switch online virtual console thing it will just be the same you know 15 first party games you've already played and probably played to death also, and I must admit, I, I I don't do much like emulating stuff, so I'm I'm definitely not an expert on this. But I still get the impression that like N64 is kind of pretty rough, you know, like it's it's a bit of a pain in the arse, and you can definitely emulate it and play those games on PC. But they, you know, whenever you see YouTube videos, they always look absolutely diabolical. Like there's just some stuff which is like inherently wrong, so they just never have the same character to them. I mean, maybe the scenes come on a bit and that's that's just you know not true anymore but you know the few times i've had to dabble for like screenshots in mags and stuff it's always like oh yikes this just isn't right yeah i think you're you're right there i mean the thing is if you want some of these games to run closer to how they originally were or you know to run well by today's standards be prepared to mess with a bunch of plugins you know and Mm. um you know some of the n64 emulators even tell you this game uh, has problems with this bit 
and there are some good wikis for this stuff but it's true that you know when they that bootleg version of <laughs> GoldenEye Remastered just emerged in the wild and um, if you play that on the Xenia emulator it runs really nicely and it's kind of a relief because if you play GoldenEye on an emulator basically it just chugs like the music chugs and then it's got like frame rate drops and it's just you know suboptimal basically mm-hmm. and it just makes you want to play it uh, on the console itself so yeah, I think that's a good point. What's interesting is some of the third-party games that are good or interesting have weirdly been like excavated by developers like Night Dive Studios and put on PC in recent years, yeah. for example. So you can enjoy those. We talked about Shadow Man in the previous episode. Mm. like, um, And obviously the Turok games as well. I don't think they've done Turok 3, though. Some of it, it becomes widely available. I was quite interested to see that uh, Doom 64 re-emerged in recent years, too. That was, um, mm. That's cool to see. You can play something like Rogue Squadron on PC as well, on uh, GOG. But, yeah, it's true that, I don't know, there's not, like, one place you can go to for all this stuff. And that is that is definitely a, a, a factor. I don't know if I factored it that much into my pick, so that might be where we delineate a little bit. But I honestly, I sort of don't know what I'm going to do for a lot of this until we get to it. <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of in the same boat. I think so much of it will change depending on who goes first, who picks what. So, yeah. Matthew, I feel like we're giving a good overview of the N64 there. Is there anything else you want to add, or should we go straight to the draft? No, just thank you, N64. I loved you a lot. You were very good. Yeah, wonderful console. So, great stuff. We'll take a short break and we'll be back with the draft. Welcome back to the podcast. So, the N64 Mini Draft. Let's do it. Let's build a hypothetical N64 Mini. So, for those listening at home that haven't heard the uh, one of these draft episodes before, or if you need a refresher, basically, there are 10 categories here. Me and Matthew will each pick a game one by one. We are competing to build the best 10 games out of the, uh, out of the N64's library. And the key thing here, of course, is that once a game has been picked, the other person can't pick it. So it becomes fiercely competitive and you have to think carefully about which games you're picking first because in the next turn, maybe the other person will take a game off the board that you really wanted. So um, there's going to be a lot of back and forth here. As mentioned, Matthew selected the categories here and I signed (laughs) off on them, but there is a lot of shifting sands between them because particularly the back half of categories that Matthew has done it it has the potential to turn into sheer chaos and <laughs> it will just it will keep it competitive to the end i think like it's quite interesting i had to think carefully about my preferred order of picks this time with the ps2 mini i just knew i needed to get silent hill 2 and that was that was it <laughs> and i got it and then that was fine but with this i think like some of the key picks that shape who will win will come like fourth or fifth in this matthew is that how you felt about it yeah absolutely I actually think there's a couple of I think there's a couple of categories where there are only really a couple of really serious contenders, but that that might be my personal opinion rather than popular consensus. I did quite I did a bit of research for this episode actually, and um, it involved playing about five to ten games that I didn't know much about, and I just wanted to have some kind of background of knowledge on. And a special shout out to Jet Force Gemini, which people always said was good at the time and i thought was like diabolically bad (laughs) just a truly dreadful shooter i don't know how people even played it at the time having like doing the shooting and aiming but am i out of line there matthew uh i I don't like it 
Uh, it's 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 not for me, and I, I thought I you know I thought I'll give this a, a proper go again on uh, rare replay, and <laughs> I was just like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, there's another game I played on that collection that I may, may come up coming this uh, come up in the draft, so I'll um, I'll save that. Ooh, but that was spicy. my main obs- that was my main observation. Also, a couple of picking for a couple of these categories took a lot of lateral thinking and watching youtube videos and and realizing that some games are just total dog shit and you've got no reason to pick them now that was um that was tough too so i'll read out the categories matthew number one shooter number two fighting or sports number three racing number four platformer number five action or rpg number six licensed game Number seven, wild card. So that's something weird or esoteric from the N64's library. Number eight, Japan only. So a game that can only have released in, in Japan. Number nine, a game made in the UK. And number 10, free pick. So Matthew, as the architect of this, tell me what your thinking was of the categories. Some of these some of these are very just heavily influenced by that magazine reading past so like japan only i thought there was an interesting import scene with n64 maybe not quite as big as i as i remembered it (laughs) (laughs) uh like i feel for that one there's a couple of like absolute superstars um so so that should be fine uh game made in the uk again i i had a slightly overinflated sense of the uk's role in this probably because of rare but there is there was some other stuff going on in there as well so i thought that i thought that was an interesting an interesting way into a, a collection of those games mm. um action rpg feels like a, a bit of an embarrassment of riches i guess like famously this is a console which people say doesn't have any rpgs so that's kind of action rpg adventure i'm guessing is hopefully how you've taken it. To be frank, it's the Zelda category, isn't it? <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> let's 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 not. Uh, it's funny how we tiptoe this around. Like, I better not say Zelda in case he's forgotten it exists. <laughs> That's yeah. the mind games. Like, oh, maybe he has forgotten it. So that you know, there are RPG-like games. Um, I would imagine. Yeah, fighting sports. I thought I'd put that together. Uh, this like. I almost did a very broad multiplayer category because it's just such a defining part of this machine. But I, you know, I, I, I think that's that. That was a little too broad. Um, I think sports here is going to be um, quite interesting. Fighting sports, just because there, there's some different directions you can take that. Shooter again feels feels pretty solid. Like feels like you'd have to really go some to make a horrible decision there. Um, some of these are so broad. I thought actually some of the later weirder categories are almost a way of like digging into those like there's some interesting strategies if you wanted them yeah for sure i think that yeah it gets that game made in the uk one absolutely fucks up everything on the board basically um (laughs) because you're like okay i'll reconfigure based on that and then yeah it's um it's tough for sure so yeah i think it's really interesting though it's a really interesting approach to the draft that will make it quite different from the ps2 one yeah i i really don't have any idea of what 10 games i'm going to end up with so that'll be fun (laughs) yeah okay so matthew should we do the coin flip and then kick off let's do the coin flip what what are you looking for uh heads heads it is whoa really i got it three times in a row This is the thing, though, because if I was doing the coin flip, I would absolutely lie to Matthew in order to win. And this is why Matthew Castle's a better man than me. He can be trusted (laughs) 
to give the correct <laughs> reading of what the virtual coin flip says. So, yeah. Okay, if then. If you were doing it, I'd make you stream your screen so I could see. <laughs> the funny thing is, though, I don't... I still don't know which category I'm going to pick for my first game because it can fit in a number of categories. So it's tough. Okay. All right. So my first pick then, we're going to go with Shooter. It's going to be GoldenEye 64. Or is it GoldenEye 007? That's what it's technically called. GoldenEye 007. That's just confusing when there's two sets of numbers that could potentially be at the end there, Matthew. (laughs) So the the reason I picked this, obviously this is a seminal first-person shooter. It was, you know, a game that I loved a lot as a kid. I've played a lot as an adult as well. A really interesting, odd mix of stealth and shooting. Someone actually pointed out when we did the Immersive Sim episode, Matthew, that do these kind of kind of fit? Because you can sort of take your own approach. I don't think they quite do, but it's definitely an interesting sort of like, you know, dynamic. Um, I can see people were comparing Deathloop to Goldeneye as well, which I thought was interesting. Mm. But obviously as an extrapolation of the film Goldeneye, which I watched again recently and think is just okay, to be honest. But... The way Ooh, it takes, I love Goldeneye. <laughs> the way it takes like ten seconds of that film and turns it into a level is like pure magic. It's just, <laughs> yeah. it's what an absolutely absurd but amazing way to make a first-person shooter. Obviously, you have the different layers of um, of uh, sort of objectives that you get depending on the difficulty you've picked. That's really cool. You have the multiplayer. The big reason I picked this for the mini is okay. We know this game is like the hardest to get, so there was a remastered version made. It wasn't released anywhere else. Um, so it wasn't released anywhere because a Nintendo reportedly didn't sign off on it. So it never saw the light today until it leaked this year. I think for people buying an N64 Mini, this is the reason it needs to... This is the reason to make it exist, basically, is that you can play this in multiplayer, you know, local multiplayer with friends, this elusive, fantastic license game from back in the day. Thoughts, Matthew? Yeah, I mean, it's a really sound pick. You're right in terms of, like, availability, I think there may be I think there maybe is a better shooter, but in terms of like its place on a mini console and its place in like N sixty four players' hearts, yeah, this is a I mean, obviously, right? Yeah, I I really love this game and I think it's um it's just it's the one I wanted more than anything else. Like there's a the bunch of the other picks here are a little bit more scattershot and we'll see where it goes. Yeah. But this is the one I thought, you know, regardless of how you feel about Perfect Dark I think that this is the one that people will have the most nostalgia for, and it's the one that you don't have access to right now, whereas Perfect Dark you do. So that doesn't fa- that doesn't factor in too much for me, but Goldeneye, that's the game I'd want to play if I bought an N64 Mini. That's why it's there. So, Matthew, what's your first pick? When you come second, you can basically go around collecting like the leftovers, or you can go bold, but there are so many other ways into the leftovers. It's not like, well, those are all the shooters off the table now. Mm. Like there are still things that I maybe want that you could take. I'm gonna go. Am I gonna go? Oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm like I was. I was 99 percent sure of what you'd pick first, but now I'm not so sure. Oh, <laughs> how are we at this uh, stage already? We're only on the first pick. I know, but this it changes everything. It honestly changes everything. Yeah. I didn't realise how integral Goldeneye was until you said it, and then I'm like, you know what, actually, that's a really good first pick. I'm going to go platformer. Yep. Super Mario 64. That's the pick I would thought I thought you would take, yeah. I know it's super obvious. I know we've all played it to death, but it's also still sort of definitive N64 game. It's the game that introduced me to the analogue stick, personally. It's the game which, when I played it for the first time, was genuinely 
like the biggest sleep I've ever experienced in any kind of like like full stop in all the games I've played. That is the single biggest sleep where I was like, this is this is this is something new. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe like the freedom of walking around that world. I know that's a sort of nostalgic reason. It doesn't really have any meaning now where this stuff is commonplace, but you know, in my head, it, it is that essential. It's still incredibly playable. It's also incredibly available, <laughs> annoyingly, um, through ver- various other means. <laughs> You've got to have a couple of classics in the mini. It can't be all super weird stuff, I think. And this is like an absolutely easy, like, bedrock. Also makes your platforming choice kind of interesting. I uh, So I kind of planned around the idea that you would pick this first if you went second. And... I now see this as a category I don't have to worry about at all until the end. So okay. that that suits me just fine um, because I have a few different choices for this one. Uh, so yeah, I think it's um, I think it's the it's the right pick. I think that I thought if you'd pick something else here, and I'd have picked Mario and Goldeneye. Like those are two such foundational mega selling games. You know what I mean? You, yeah. yeah, I actually wanted to pick something else a bit more interesting for platformer. Uh, but I felt like you painted me into the corner a bit with Goldeneye, to be honest, because <laughs> I felt like I, you can't have both of them because then basically this thing's lost. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you have forced me into making a thing I didn't particularly want to do. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, what's interesting? Is there anything else you want to say about Mario Mario sixty four, Matthew? Or do you feel like you've said it all? Just that it really, really holds up. This isn't just a purely nostalgic play, you know. Playing it as part of the um, the Switch collection and it's just still gloriously inventive. Kind of creates the mold which most three D character platformers still to this day I haven't really bettered it. That's why I'm confident in. There are other things like it on the N sixty four, but they're very inferior to this. I think so. It's actually that's one of the interesting things N sixty four is. I you know I say it's the home of the platformer, but actually it's the home of the platformer. You know this one, and then after that. There's quite a gulf, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not that far off before you're down into the Gexes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. It's um, it's a narrow field. So, yeah, I I think this is a, this is a great pick. Obviously, it's you know a foundational game for that entire genre, a 3D game that you know would define redefine the industry, and so is therefore a good pick. And yeah, needs to I think needs to be on an N64 Mini as much as Goldeneye does. So. Yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about the availability thing, Matthew. People are just going to be voting through a straight who's got the best 10 games list, so don't, uh, yeah, don't beat yourself yeah. up about that. Okay, so this is where I think I'm going to like just see what happens if I cause a bit of chaos, because <laughs> I wasn't expecting to win this draft, because I'm you know not the Nintendo guy, you are, and even though I have a, enough knowledge and, and baked-in experience to be able to pick 10 good games for this... There is a part of me that thinks, what's the kind of podcasting gold element of this draft? And <laughs> I think what I'm going to do, Matthew, is I'm going to take Category 9 Game Made in the UK, and I'm going to pick Perfect Dark. So Fuck. you don't you don't get either <laughs> of them. <laughs> Which is like a betrayal and like cruel. But I was, I was thinking about it last night, and I thought, okay, first of all, that is funny to do that. And, you know, <laughs> that's good podcasting. But... I did also think if I bought this console, I would want both because I think Perfect Dark scratches enough of a different itch in terms of like if you're playing by yourself and you just want to rinse some bots, then you can do that or team up with a friend and rinse some bots. 
And I thought that by letting you pick Perfect Dark, you've got too good a counter to Goldeneye that people might weigh up 50-50. But by having neither of them, it puts you in quite a tough position. So... That's yeah. why that, that's why I have done this terrible act to you, Matthew. Yes. You, my friend. <laughs> I apologise, but I think it will be a good play. <laughs> what do you make of that? Yeah, that's. I mean, that's that's a real shiter as well. Um, yeah, I must admit, like I prefer Perfect Dark to Goldeneye. That's why I thought it was a secret win for me that I was going to be able to take that. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, that's 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 quite frustrating. Cause I think there are still good shooters, but there's yeah. no shooter I truly love or that I deem absolutely core. I may have to get a bit bit creative to deal with that. Yeah, I mean, fantastic, perfect dark, the multiplayer that we became so obsessed with uh, that my friend Craig used to elastic band his N64 controller in place to send his multiplayer character running laps of just a level to get his distance stats up because he was trying to level up his multiplayer profile. Then we'd go back at lunch and he'd have been running around this level for four hours. Um, <laughs> we were obsessed with that game. Um, that, that seems like a good use of a parent's energy supply. Um, yeah, <laughs> amazing. Uh, <laughs> I mean... That's really funny. I think that this actually holds up really well. I mean, obviously, like, we're talking about the um, Rare Replay version or the version they did on Xbox 360 where they buffed up the frame rate and smoothed it out, gave it twin stick controls. Really, really fun to still play. Me and my pal Andrew were playing a few games of this um, recently, and we did play a few games against the bots, and then we thought we should just play against each other and see how this goes. And it got so incredibly nasty, like 90s... Um, millennial kids nasty like um there was a he he beat, basically beat me like three games in a row and then it got to like the end of the fourth game where he was beating me and he went oh um I, I killed him once and he went oh i think you might win this and then i basically um lost that game too and was incredibly angry that he'd said i think you're gonna win this and then in the next game when i did win um, and got to like the final kill before the time ran out. I just went to him in this really Stuart Lee like fashion. I think you're gonna win this, and he was just <laughs> incredible. And he was like burst into like laughter, but also just how fucking petty I was to feel that way. <laughs> that a man in his thirties could still feel this way playing an N64 shooter from the nineties. Um, the other thing to like highlight with this game, of course, is that the guns are really novel and cool. And um, I don't actually think that much of the single player, Matthew. How do you feel about single player Perfect Dark? Oh, I loved it. Um, oh, really? Yeah, I yeah. It, you know, it has the same sort of s- structure as as Goldeneye in terms of just stuff getting more exciting the harder it is. Um, uh, I love the gadgets. I love the kind of spy fiction of it all. Um, you know, I love the like how playful the guns are. You know, they've all got these alternate functions. Like you can endlessly replay that game and. There was just a level of detail to it I'd never seen, you know, in terms of, like, shooting other lights and just the little weird effects and, and, and how um, interactive that world was. It's it's definitely a wonkier campaign. There are maybe, like, five or six levels I replayed endlessly. Like, I absolutely love... Uh, there's, like, an Air Force One assault level, which I was obsessed with. I really love the very first level where you sort of sneak into... Um, uh, data dine it's got the same idea as goldeneye in terms of like you can go in all action or stealth and it was so rich just like there was you know the the cheats the you know 
trying to beat the levels in fast time to unlock stuff. The weird gun challenge mode, and it's got this, you know, probably the best of its kind kind of set of um, shooting range challenges uh, in the Carrington Institute. It's just one of the most fully featured games of all time. Um, mm. And, yeah, I, I love it to bits. All the more reason to take it off of you. Yes. Um, mm. So... <laughs> yeah, I think I don't. I don't have the same baked in love for the campaign that I did for Goldeneye. I think well, I'm a- enjoy it then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I lo- I really love the multiplayer and like, hey, maybe this is a chance to dig into it a bit more. But I think it's also because I didn't know as many kids who owned this, and so it wasn't as big a feature as Goldeneye was. So I think that's all I'm really comparing it to. It's yeah. also a bit, it's a bit cornier than Goldeneye as well. I think. Um, yeah, definitely. Cheesier. But like yeah. that. Oh god, the hype for this game was so wild, and it was like one of the only games where it was just as good as they told me it was going to be like that yeah. that was the thing that got me like i mean N- you know n64 did hundreds of pages on this games and and when i got it i was like even then i was like i i, I had no idea how like wild this thing was going to be yeah um oh uh, it's it is so good and i thought it wouldn't hurt much because there is the hd version i thought well you know other people can play it but actually the double whammy <laughs> I, I won't lie it stings <laughs> yeah it's probably uh, unnecessarily brutal it's probably the worst thing i've done to a friend in 2021 um, <laughs> so that's good uh, what's your next pick matthew i feel like this is just you've pushed this into being a bit more of an arms race than i hoped it was going to be <laughs> yeah i know i like i i thought about it so much i just thought there was such an obvious pick for my next one that I could have taken. I think you'll take now. But I just thought, got a bit more history with this game, and there's some real fire in taking it from you. So, yeah, it was it was bad. What you got? You're, now, you're probably going to disagree with this. I don't think this is my predictable next move. In fighting sports, I'm going to take the original Super Smash Brothers. Interesting. Yeah. It's a multiplayer classic. I think it still has value and worth because those games are... Very different in feel between them. I love this game. I played this game for hundreds and hundreds of hours. It's obviously the smallest Smash Brothers, but it's super, super focused and fundamentally nails everything good about this series. Everything it ever needed to be is here. These characters you know and love fighting in worlds that didn't belong to them. And that that was the thing I remember initially that really got me excited. It may sound dumb, but you're like oh, God, it's Mario, but he's on top of, you know, the ship from Star Fox. That's bad, you know. Like a, in, in my head, that seemed like a real, like, like multiverse kind of... That's I guess that's what the, sort of, the Marvel Cinematic Universe trades on now. It was just this, like, impossible thing. I actually love the simplicity of it. You know, it has all the stuff I like. Fundamentally, it has lightsabers that you can chuck and ding your friends so that they go flying. Um, it has Kirby's down B move where he turns into a rock. It has Pikachu's incredibly shitty down B move where he rains down lightning on fuckers above, as my <laughs> friend Mark Lucemore used to do all the time. I, I love this game. I think it still holds up. I would definitely want it as a nostalgia play. I feel like I need, uh, I need a multiplayer killer in there, and this, for me, is it. There are a couple of bigger games than this, and you may not even have taken this one, but I feel I need it. Yep, it wasn't one of my picks. I did think about it. I thought about (laughs) it late in the day because I thought, okay, so in a way, you do sort of need this. You need, you you know, people would expect to see Smash Bros. on there, but I think it's just that every version of this that would follow would surpass it. It's almost like a tech demo for what would follow. Um, I played loads of this first one. Yeah. And I think it's got but I think it's got nostalgia value for sure. 
it's just the most it feels so pared down to what would follow i mean even just a few years later with melee just like you know it's ah. so pure though it's so pure yeah it is yeah i yeah i this is actually a, this is a really interesting category because there are i think two more obvious picks on the sports side which i'm surprised he didn't go for which makes me wonder well maybe matthew uses free pick to grab one of these i don't know but there was also a spate of really good wrestling games on n64 so yeah that's i must admit i just don't have that relationship with wrestling games and i know for some people listening to this podcast they'll be howling at that because wrestling is like a really important bit of the n64 story i just can't i just can't fake that it would be a completely fake pick and i'd just be parroting someone else's opinions like i just have no hold on it so um yeah yeah i did play i did play a bunch of wcw versus nwo um i can't remember what the subtitle was for that one but um revenge that was it revenge i did enjoy that but i don't know if i've got the history to pick that one so i think smash bros is a good like a good pick for this in terms of you'll look at a list and go oh yeah smash bros on an n64 mini that makes sense so yeah yeah i don't um yeah i don't begrudge you that matthew that's uh that's good <laughs> so okay this is an interesting position to be in my third pick is going to be license game okay and i'm going to take rogue squadron the star wars okay. game i'm not sure what you would have picked for this category but um i really loved this game at the time i did play on pc i did later play the n64 version i understand that like the sound stuff they did with this was quite revolutionary for n64 which didn't have much in the way of like good audio at the time because obviously it wasn't a um, disc-based uh, console this is like a third person shooter you you know you're controlling a spaceship basically like star fox but you're kind of um, flying around these star wars planets and x wings and a wings and y wings didn't add b wings though the absolute fucking sickos um <laughs> And later the Naboo Starfire, which they added via a cheat code. And you essentially go around planets in between, I believe, Star Wars, A New Hope and Empire Strikes Back, just taking off bits and pieces. And then you can unlock the um, Death Star Trench Run in a bonus level, which they would do much better in Rogue Leader on GameCube. So I thought this was was just a really fun shooter for the time. Really straightforward, objective-based, quite hard. Um, to unlock the extra levels you need to get medals and that required having a certain accuracy which is really fucking hard and controlling these X-Wings. I would say that for Factor 5 who made this, they weren't the best at making shooters but this, this, this is broad and enjoyable and the way you can go back and replay the levels as the different Star Wars spaceship gave it a lot of value. You can unlock the Millennium Falcon with a cheat as well which is really cool. I believe Farm Boy was a cheat on N64 that unlocked that. <laughs> Um, I don't know why I still remember that, but was McClunky one. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought this game was rad, and it ends with a really fucking bizarre, like far future of the Star Wars universe. Well, not far future, but it's like after Re- Return of the Jedi mission, where your wedge Antilles uh, flying a V-wing on the on Mon Calamari, while these giant like world devastators destroy parts of the planet, and it's like basically an adaptation of a um, comic book storyline from the. Um, from the Star Wars uh, sort of like a, a you know alternate universe extended universe thing, so I thought mm. that that was rad. I really love this game, Matthew. I'm assuming you played it at the time, right? Visually, like really impressive. You know, that's the old um, Factor Five magic. For me, this series didn't really come truly come alive until GameCube. This has got Hoth in it, right? I think this has Hoth as another level that you unlock. I always get this a little bit confused because there's the Hoth level in Shadows of the Empire where you're 
mm. using the tow rope to bring down the, the big boys. Yeah, that's um, right, famously called the big boys. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure that's in this too. I liked I liked it enough. I feel like this this was a game. Like I don't think we owned this, but we definitely had friends, like a couple of friends who owned it. Like it 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 was definitely like a key enough thing to to have entered someone's birthday list at some point. It was key for me at the time. as like um, it was quite a nerdy Star Wars game being set between the films rather than during the films. Um, right. I think I think I think this game was rad, and I think people will like seeing it on my list, and they'll like to have a licensed game on the list as well that is not broadly available on um, consoles. You can play it on PC, but not on any consoles, as far as I know. Yeah. So, um, yeah. What's uh, your third pick, Matthew? I feel like we're both circling something quite big, and I don't know why. I think I know why, but I'm not going to say why because I want to win. <laughs> I'm going to go action RPG. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pick The Legend of Zelda. Majora's Mask. Mm-hmm. I'm going to pick it because it's a more interesting Zelda game now. I feel Ocarina is a little bit played out. In fact, you can go back and listen to our extensive <laughs> Zelda ranking episode for my thoughts on this very subject. Yeah, I, I think you know. I, I think if you've got either of these games, um, you know, uh, at least one of them is expected. But I think this is the slightly quirkier of the two. I think if there is one that people haven't played of the two, it will be this. Um, so I feel like it may have a bit of extra value that 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 way. Also, it's just you know having replayed it on 3DS recently, you know I have a newfound appreciation of it. Um, admittedly, that game smoothed some of the rough edges, and so it'd be a bit tough to go back to. Um, but the core magic of it and the, the time loop idea, maybe it's just because I'm playing a lot of Death Loop at the moment as well that that stuff excites me, and I'm into it. But I think this is. Uh, I think lots of people have have great fun either rediscovering this or discovering it for the first time. Yep. A good pick. I did wonder which of the Zeldas you would take. This was the thing we were both circling, wasn't it? Because yeah. once one person pulls the trigger, the other person has to pull the trigger. That's kind of how it works. Um, this wasn't going to be the one I picked first. I thought you would pick Ocarina at first. And yeah, so um, I think that's um, a, a good a good pick. Your reasoning is sound. I think this is still persistently popular, Matthew. I turned on my Wii U the other day, and I think this was number one or number two most downloaded um sort of virtual console game on there so oh, okay you know i think it's just because i mean you can buy it on 3ds i think the 3ds version might not be like super cheap to get hold of like the right. of, um, majora's mask and obviously the n64 one um was a late n64 game so it kind of um i think that's a little bit more elusive than ocarina is as well i'm i'm saying that with a bit of shaky knowledge i should say does but... um can i ask does the n64 mini come with a mini n64 expansion pack <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it has to have that built yeah. in or otherwise uh yeah it rules yeah. out too much good stuff i think like um i don't think you need it for perfect dark right but i think it makes it better it lets you have more bots or some some stuff it oh, does there was somewhere it was better and there was somewhere you absolutely needed it i think you may have needed it for that one yeah yeah i think you're right yeah yeah so it was just so so crazy ambitious yeah for sure so yeah a good a good pick matthew i was um yeah wondering where you'd get to that i honestly thought that would be your second pick but i can see why you did it the way you did it so um interesting all right then well that means i have to pick the legend of zelda ocarina of time as my action rpg for my fourth pick because otherwise matthew can take it as his free pick so i have to be careful and Yes, I think that along with... I feel comfortable having this and GoldenEye as, like, I don't get Mario 64, which, 
you know, as a foundational N64 game. But Ocarina of Time is just as important to the N64 story as Mario is. And so I think that people will expect to see this on a N64 Mini no matter what. You know, I have more yeah. of a relationship with it than Majora's Mask. Majora's Mask I've not played, so I can't say I'm an authority on that. Yeah. You know, I wouldn't say, I mean, I'm nowhere near the Zelda authority you, uh, you are. But Ocarina of Time, I recognize its importance in the, you know, 3D action space. And, you know, it would go on to inspire everything from like 3D GTAs to, you know, it's it's an incredibly important part of the um, the journey of 3D games. And I think that people always enjoy just the, the act of stepping onto Hyrule Field in this game, and they'll want that nostalgia rush when they pick up their N64 Mini. Mm. And, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, there's a reason people still talk about it all these years later. You might be right in terms of the discourse played out around it, but people want this damn thing on their little console, Matthew, so that's why it's here. Yeah, that's yeah. that's perfectly perfectly acceptable. We can all play Ocarina for the 8 millionth time. <laughs> And probably give up when we get to Jabu Jabu. <laughs> Great stuff. So yes, if you want a more informed Zelda take, go listen to that <laughs> excellent episode, obviously. But um, yes, I don't feel bad taking this. I think this needs to be on here. So yeah, yep. What's your fifth, fourth pick? Fourth pick, right? For racing. Oh no, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. Really, it's a tough one. That one, isn't it? That one's tough because there's there's like a slightly obvious choice, but also there's some slightly quirkier, interesting things. Yeah, there are. That was last. That was last on my preference of picks. That one because I just thought it's actually a fucking ton of good racing games on this console. Yeah, yeah. So you'd probably be fine. Um, for my free pick, I'm going to take Paper Mario, uh, the Intelligent Systems Mario RPG. I guess the spiritual sort of successor to Mario RPG on the SNES. Obviously, they couldn't do an outright successor because at this point, uh, Square weren't going to be making cool RPGs for Nintendo. Uh, RPG is a bit of a sore spot for the N64. Uh, widely held as, as like one of one of the reasons it did so very poorly in Japan compared to the PlayStation, where just everyone who you'd grown to love in the SNES era was basically making stuff there instead. Paper Mario, not the best in the series but establishes all the rules because it is its own story i think it's still worth playing it's it's not like it's it ceases to exist rpgs i think have a better shelf life um compared to their sequels than some other genres because of that built on the amazing combat system with sort of timing based amplifiers for attacks and the like what i loved about this is it does sort of it's like a weird loosening up of nintendo in a way you know this idea that this kind of character who's quite kind of unknowable up until then uh, gets this sort of strange adventure that investigates the sort of psychology of the characters of the Mushroom Kingdom. You know, you get to talk to like Goombas and Dry Bones and find out what their deal is, um, which is just such a delightful idea. And I think is really like at the heart of that entire series. They nailed it from here. Bowser becomes a bit more interesting. Peach gets quite an important role in it. I also feel like it's a first-party game a lot of people didn't play and didn't experience. Like, I didn't know anyone who had this at the time. Um, Rediscovered it on Virtual Console. So I feel like it's too big a first-party thing to not be on there, and I also think people will have fun playing it for the first time. Yeah, so, you know, a good pick. I thought about it. I don't have a history with this one, and I thought about playing it, but I thought I won't get far into it, so... You know, I'll yeah. just accept that Mario, um, Mario, Matthew will probably pick this. Um, yep, a good use of your free pick to pick an RPG. So it is very odd the RPG situation on this console because even with the um, 
you know the square moving across it's not just square that makes rpgs for ps1 is it it's a absolute basically everyone who made rpgs yeah. for the snares as well so it's a weird one with the exception of uh quest the developer but yeah it's um yeah good pick matthew and uh, obviously a series that would again peak on the gamecube but or arguably um and so yeah starts here good suggestion I was, I was tempted by, I'm going to say this game's name because I'm pretty sure you're not going to pick it uh, as your free pick. Um, I was tempted by Ogre Battle 64, mm. um, but only because its subtitle is A Person of Lordly Calibre, which has always made me laugh because it's such a ridiculous name, but I decided against it. That's fair enough. Yeah. So good pick, Matthew. So we're up to my fifth pick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So fifth pick, going to go Japan only. And I'm going to take Sin and Punishment, the shooter okay. by Treasure. So this is a tough category, actually, because there are a few interesting suggestions. But I think this is like canonically the the big N64 game that people, you know, really coveted from that system. There are other games from Treasure I thought about as well. But I think this is the one in terms of like, you know, when you look at lists of games that only released in Japan, this this is it. So it's a third person shooter from Treasure. It's a bit different to some of their 2D offerings. It's super, super slick and smooth for an N64 game. Like I don't know what magic they did to get this working. I actually played it for the first time when they released it on Wii, on the Virtual Console, a bunch of years ago. Uh, sadly, I no longer have um, have that Wii. I gave it to my ex-girlfriend so she could watch Netflix on her shitty TV and um, didn't get it back <laughs> from her before she moved to America. Side note there, um, bit of a bummer. But yeah, so... <laughs> So yeah, um I did but I did enjoy this. I probably played it for like two days and just thought it had real kind of imagination and looked fantastic for a, a game from the time. Like it's a fairly late on game, I believe, in the um console's lifespan. But mm-hmm. yeah, Sin and Punishment is it's a great shooter. I think that, you know, it's arcadey and fun, the sort of thing people will want to play when they um they pick up their N sixty four mini and just obscure enough. That'll be um, a cool coveted pick to have in that in that category, Matthew. Mm. So, what, have you, what do you make of this one? Have you played it? Yeah, played it on Virtual Console. You know, obviously, it was incredibly exciting that they brought it over. I mean, that was that was a really cool push from Nintendo back then. I wish they'd done it with a few more things, actually. Like super fast, super relevant. Yeah, I mean, you can't can't really fault it. Really exciting treasure. Treasure gone now. They're gone, right? I think they haven't released anything apart from re-releases for quite a long time. So yeah, it seems yeah. like they're gone, which is a bummer, right? Because you know, yeah, I mean, they had such a run. I mean, man, alive, and they had a good run on N sixty four as well. Like they did a few things. So I, th- I think for Japan only, it's between a couple of things. But um, I can live with it. But that's a really, really sound game, and people will have a great time with it. Yeah, the one I thought about was uh, the original Animal Crossing, because yeah, I yeah, but. You know, people. It, that's really just like people will play it for ten minutes and then and then just go back to playing the one on Switch. You know, that's that's. I think it has just been too surpassed too much. You know, it, it would be like, I mean, really wild if they had to localize that entire thing for this one very niche thing. But you know, I feel like Nintendo has made a couple more swings with their mini consoles than like PlayStation did with theirs, for example. You know, like when they did the Star Fox Two thing, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so they've yeah, got, they've got form for doing slightly balmy things. Yeah, for sure. The other one I looked at was there is a two D Bomberman game that only released in uh, Japan, and um, you know I think Bomberman would be fun for some local local play. But I I just thought Sin and Punishment was just more sort of like raw N sixty four. Um, it just spoke to me more in that in that respect. So um, mm. yeah, that's why I picked it. So what's your fifth fifth pick, Matthew? Oh God. 
You know what? I feel like I've really made a big series of this. <laughs> I'm looking at my list. I'm just feeling an increasing sense of doom. <laughs> I feel like I just I put you on the back foot with that early double. Yeah, hitter. that really got me. That really. Th- I feel so much happier if I had one of those shooters. Yeah, and I feel like all my interesting choices I'm not getting to pick because I feel, I'm feeling like I'm running scared. Should I just be brave and be like, "It's this, it's this weird fucking thing"? Yeah, it's gone according to plan for me so far. I must admit. Surprised they haven't robbed one of your things, which is what I want to do. Mm. Um, I'm out to wound more than win. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can turn it around. Um, there's a couple of categories here where I'm a bit on unsure footing, so you might be able to win out. For wild card, I'm going to take Mystical Ninja starring Goman. This is like a bit of everything, like actually trying to pin down its genre. I guess it's an adventure game, sort of a little bit sort of Zeldry. There are platforming sequences, there are action sequences, but it's also got that everything but kitchen sink approach, which I think is, it's kind of got big back page pod energy. It's... <laughs> One of those sort of definitive, like, weirdo 7 out of 10s that are going to be 10 out of 10s for some people. A kind of a giant peach-shaped spaceship turns up and turns uh, their traditional castle into, like, a western castle. And the world is being taken over by a sort of theatre troupe. And so you obviously have to stop this. There are lots of really weird characters. Slightly wonky localization, which is now sort of treated with with more affection as as part of its comic charm it's got song and dance numbers you occasionally turn into a massive robot and fight other robots in space no way near as sophisticated an action game as a platinum game but it has some of that like what the fuck is this going to do next stuff that you get in a platinum game which i really like also just feel like it's a thing like lots of people maybe maybe read about but didn't play uh it was just a little bit too janky to kind of get the the, the, the critical adoration but this is definitely one which i feel is heralded as like a super essential kind of cult classic yeah i struggled this with this category more than any others and i have a technicality question for you on that when i get to it but yeah this is um this is a game i remember having a good reputation in magazines at the time and i don't think i ever really knew what it was about matthew but i just read the wikipedia description of the story so the story follows Gomon's struggles to prevent the Peach Mountain Shogun's gang from turning Japan into a westernised fine arts theatre. The plot calls for three cinematic musical features and battles between giant robots like other Gambare Gomon games. It is peppered with surrealist humour and, and anachronisms. So that sounds like unlike anything else, and therefore I think it's a good a good pick for <laughs> yeah, this right. category. I mean, that's just so fucking weird. It has this like spirit of N64 to it, which is... This is the era where, like, everyone has to learn how to make 3D games of their 2D games. It's really interesting because a lot of people get it, like, horribly wrong. A lot of people are quite unsure of themselves. But there's also, like, a huge amount of experimentation in it. I guess at the end we can talk through some other choices that didn't make it because I don't want to give you any good ideas um, because you don't need them um, (laughs) because you're full of them. Um, (laughs) He said bitterly. But I think there's some other things in this genre which... I actually had the most picks for this particular category because I feel like there are lots of weird 7 out of 10s which are are maybe a bit better than that on N64 um, because of that, that whole kind of weird 3D transition period. It's an interesting time. And mm. I don't think we kind of gave people much credit or had much patience for them at the time. 
Like, it was very easy for you to go like, oh, God, you know, the fucking platforming's rough and the camera sucks. And you're like, everyone is inventing this stuff from scratch right now. Yeah. Um, and it, with hindsight, that seems a lot more apparent. But at the time, it was just like bee stings left, right and centre. <laughs> yeah, that's actually like, I mean, I, I haven't picked this, but I fucking love Shadows of the Empire. Um, right. But it was it was such an early 3D game, like so early. Like it was a launch game for the um, the console in North America. Yeah. And its shooting is like not the greatest, but it's not too bad. I actually thought the shooting was a little bit better than um, <laughs> Jet Force Gemini to dunk on that again. Oh my God. Let's but, not get the rare stands coming after this podcast. <laughs> there is a bit of danger of like, if I slag off you know a rare game too much, will people turn on me in the voting? So um, yeah, but I, um, you know, I have plenty of respect for their other games, but that just, that seemed like the obvious stuff one out of the lot to me, but I don't know. Um, oh, Dash Render. <laughs> yeah yeah budget um sort of little hand solo that's his uh <laughs> his vibe so matthew we're five we're five picks down yeah so why don't we recap do you um so i've uh i'll just fire through mine then you fire through yours yeah yeah okay so for shooter i've got goldeneye 64 for action or rpg i've got legend of zelda ocarina of time for licensed game i've got star wars rogue squadron for Japan only, I've got Sin and Punishment. And for Game Made in the UK, I've got Perfect Dark. What have you got, Matthew? I've got Fighting Sports, Super Smash Brothers, Platformer, Super Mario 64, Action RPG, Majora's Mask, Wild Card, Mystical Ninja starring Goman, Free Pick, Paper Mario. When I say that out loud, those are five good games. Yeah, they definitely are, yeah. I That's think, not uh... too bad. <laughs> no, it's, if, I, if you need me to reassure you, no, that's not too bad at all. Yeah. Just tell, um, tell me I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, you're a good boy. You're a good boy. Um, <laughs> okay, so next up then. The category that I had the most choices for is free pick. I'm going to take Star Fox 64 here. Okay. I think that I had this down for shooter at one point. I thought I could probably get away without a technicality, but it probably blogs here more. Um, so this is, I think, one of the most easy to pick up and play N64 games. I say this as someone who has completed this game four times in a Brewdog in Cardiff. That's like how <laughs> pick up and play this is. Back when they used to have an N64 there, they got rid of it. Fucking Philistines. But um, yeah, so I really love this. It's, um, you know, kind of what Star Fox 2 was made into an N64 game. But I think it's just a really fun arcade style spaceship shooter with some really fucking rad optional levels that you can unlock and some cool secrets to find so good replay value i really loved it when they brought it out on the um the 3ds i thought the um it still held up incredibly well and so yeah i think that you know this is this is a game that again i think everyone had on the system and a lot of people loved so yeah the other pick i had for this category matthew was pokemon snap because I thought Matthew won't pick a Pokemon game, and there's a lot of like residual love for Pokemon Snap, but yeah. Star Fox is definitely a stronger pick, and I'm kind of worried that you might have taken this for shooter. You probably haven't, but um, so yeah, Star Fox um, holds up incredibly well. I can't say I think much of the multiplayer in this, but that's not why you play it. You play it to uh, have a really fun two-hour single-player experience and then move on with your life. Weirdly, a game like I didn't have much of a relationship with because back in the time when games were super precious, the talk of the short campaign, and I know it's highly re- replayable, but like the, the length of it always gave me pause. I will say, of all the Nintendo franchises, it's, it's the one I have 
like the least ongoing relationship with. Like, I, I kind of feel nothing about Star Fox. I, like, if they didn't make another one, it wouldn't upset me. If they made a bad one, when when they made a bad one, it didn't upset me. Yeah, I just don't, I don't, I don't know why. I think maybe that relationship with Star Fox for most people begins on N64, and because we didn't own it, I just don't have that relationship. But that isn't to say it's a great game. Yeah, I think that the reason this series hasn't quite persisted is they've never really known what to do with it. So they try to turn into a kind of like shootery thing, more of a kind of hybrid shootery thing on the um, uh, the with the game Star Fox Assault on GameCube. Obviously, Star Fox Adventures, kind of like, you know, a bit of a duff, uh, sort of rare game, sort of Zelda-like, retrofitted from Dinosaur Planet, didn't quite work. And so, I don't know, you kind of end up in a position where you're just replaying the hits with uh, with Star Fox. So, I think that just having the peak of the series on this um, on this format works for me. And uh, yeah, I still love this game. All these years later. So, what's your sixth pick, Matthew? For Game Made in the UK, I'm going to take... Space Station Silicon Valley. The DMA design game, right? DMA design, really interesting platform game set in a basically a space zoo where you crash land uh, and you control this little sort of microchip with legs. And in order to fix the zoo and basically solve its whole situation, you can jump in and control the robotic animals, taking on their abilities, and it becomes this big, strange ability puzzler. So you take over a robot dog and you can herd the robot sheep to solve puzzles. Or, you know, there's this kind of ecosystem of, like, abilities between the different animals. This is super niche, and I don't know if it was really a big thing. I don't think it was a big thing full stop, and I don't know if it was... if if any kind of reach it had was purely within the UK. N64 went for this in a big way. Either we owned it or like cl- a friend, close enough friends owned it that we that we were able to play absolutely heaps of this. Really interesting puzzle platformer. It like doesn't uh, exist in any other form. Actually, there may have been a PlayStation 1 port, but this definitely like belonged on N64. I was quite tempted by... There's another DMA game, which we can probably get to later. I'm not a big Rare guy, to be honest, which is why, you know, I could have easily picked a big crowd pleaser like Banjo-Kazooie for this. I'm actually going to have a bit of integrity and stick with with what I think, and I think an interesting puzzle platformer about possessing robot animals in space is just what people want. I thought this was actually like your opportunity to wound me, because if you'd have taken Banjo-Kazooie off the board, like, I wouldn't have known what to pick for platformer. Oh, okay. So we would have had a red faction moment. <laughs> exactly, you could have kneecapped me on that one. You would have been like <laughs> Glover. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Yeah, or Rayman too. I might pick that. But um, yeah. So that's um, that is interesting. Yeah, I thought you might pick Blast Core, Matthew. I played that yesterday. I thought that was fun, but quite limited considering its reputation. Blast Core Space Station Silicon Valley sort of exists in a similar space of like quite weird things that once you're done with them you're done with them um i just blast core's whole thing is like it just trades on super panic and stress and anxiety yeah. of like things going wrong it's not massively fun to play because of that i fight like it's it's just too much for me the camera in that game is absurd as well like it's sort of <laughs> it's over the head like kind of like isometric but zoomed in so you can't fucking see anything coming up like it's just pure chaos and <laughs> i think that i respect that how much they get out of a very limited concept but um and it probably would have been quite a fun throwaway game 
It was like perfect. When the, when the N64 had a budget line, that player's choice one. But the budget games were still 30 quid, which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this this was one of them. Blast Core was one of them. And I thought that was kind of, it's probably spot on for that. But um, not as much fun to play in 2021, I would say. So yeah, this is a good pick. Um, I've been sort of considering these two games for another category. The games from this uh, developer that um, come out around this time. So Right. Yeah. Uh, good pick, Matthew. A good pick. Um, very hot heartfelt which yeah, might um... i'm just trying to create a bit of a range now i feel like i've i feel like i've kind of got first party i've got what i what i've got so let's try and make it a bit more interesting mm-hmm. that makes sense yeah i just don't want like when this mini comes out i don't want Eurogamer to write a sneering post about how <laughs> conservative it is <laughs> yeah that's fair enough i think chris donlan's going to be behind my mini 64 that what a really <laughs> cynical way to try and turn it around for yourself like <laughs> How can I, how can I how can I counteract the damage Samuel's done by taking Goldeneye and Perfect Dark? I'll mention Chris Donlan. <laughs> a whimsical game about a, with a robot kangaroo. That'll do it. <laughs> I think um, with um, uh, Gomon and um, and that you've ticked off that pretty um, pretty firmly. I would say. Mm. So okay, so we're on to my seventh pick. This is interesting because it's quite tough around here. I feel like I've got all the main ones I wanted. A technicality question for you, Matthew. Yeah. Can Conker's Bad Fur Day be picked as a wild card? I think so. It's quite an it's quite an oddball. <laughs> yeah, I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be upset if you did that. Yep, that's what I will do then. So my seventh pick is wild card, Conker's Bad Fur Day. Rare's game that was published by THQ because Nintendo wasn't into all of that. You know, the very gross and strange humour of this really cursed game. So uh <laughs> I played this for the first time recently. I, I played about three or four hours of it. And its sense of humour is like some trapped in some nineties vortex of like British lad humour and like gross out kind of like animation, like adult animation from like the seventies. It's an absolutely fucking weird mix of stuff. Like I say, I think this game is deeply cursed, but it's a it's a really fascinating artifact. Like how it happened, I don't know. It so obviously has. Um, you know the developers playing the characters in the game and the voice acting does not sound professional it's like a really strange sort of like droning british accents in it it's got obviously the big um the big poo man sort of moment is he called king poo or something like that or am i thinking of mighty uh, singing poo that's it yeah that's it you know you you wake up with a hangover it's kind of a platformer i could probably have got it in that category if i wanted to but i wouldn't have put that i mean you can but it's like it's a horrible platformer. <laughs> yeah, what what is this game? It's kind of like a platformer and a point and click adventure, isn't it? It's like yeah, it's yeah. like a co- yeah, a comedy adventure game. I actually really like the context sensitive thing in this that it has like one button that does everything mm. and that that everything allows the game to be like well, all kinds of different games. Yeah, so it does a, it does a lot with um, you know, it's kind of like a, a rare best of compilation in terms of the variety of stuff it has in it i guess i guess i come at this knowing it's a kind of like a a worthwhile part of the n64's library a really interesting obviously it's a rare game and it's the weirdest rare game on the system so i think it has a place on the on the on the console (laughs) can i truly say i love it i would say anyone who has never heard of this game who would play it in 2021 would come out of it thinking what the actual fuck is that do you think that's fair? Yeah, I think so. Like, its references are so of the time as well. It has an, uh, annoyingly, right at the, right towards the end, after several of the worst difficulty spikes I ever faced on N64, it has a killer Matrix parody, 
which is just genuinely really, really cool. It's like the lobby shootout, loads of slow motion sideways jumping. And it just it just looked at the time. I was like, wow, it's just like the Matrix. This really pressed my button back when I was 15. <laughs> and that's fine. I think like I played this game originally in the format it was supposed to be played in. So a, a, a guy around a corner who lived around the corner from me played a few hours of it with him and a mate and we just played through it at the age of like 12 laughing at the different gross jokes yeah. in it and the fact that the squirrel was hung over and all of the disgusting things in it i don't necessarily think it's like a great game but i think yeah like i say mm. as a weird artifact of the n64 a fine pick i think for this category by putting this on your mini i think you instantly get your mini cancelled in 2021 <laughs> <laughs> that's the weird thing people haven't really cancelled this game but it feels like Within an hour, I thought, well, this must have been cancelled, right? But I think that people just accept that it's a product of its time and that, that, that that's fine. Um, our pal Jay Bayliss pointed out there's um, a few references to a very specific part of Liverpool or a place near Liverpool that um, come from the writer of this game. And um, he got in touch with that writer and asked him about, about it because Jay lived in the same place. So uh, right. I thought that was quite interesting. But, you know, mm. just speaks to how weird this is. It's like, I don't know, it's like a kind of Slender Man style myth that exists as a real game. Like, there's this fucked up, strange, like, rare game. The people who made Banjo-Kazooie made this really fucked up, weird British comedy game. And, like, it's so odd, Matthew. Like, it's so yeah. weird to play. I, yeah. I, particularly because the, the rare at the time, you know, they had a lot of distinct teams that were kind of siphoned. Like, they were in physically separate barns, mm. was the rare studio. They often talk about these development barns. And I like the idea that there was, like, no cross-pollination. And just that in one of these barns something but like evil was happening (laughs) (laughs) yeah perfect oh so yeah that's my seventh pick Matthew um I thought about Tactics Ogre but honestly that just looks like hard work and I don't think anyone wants to play that in 2021 just go play an RPG on a different system that's what I think but um Mm. yeah so what's your seventh pick Matthew so I've got a question about license game and the rules here yeah when we say license game does it matter what it's licensed like could it have licensed a sports license i guess i saw it as more of a movie tie-in thing yeah i would i will allow i think in the way that you gave me leeway for wildcard to pick a rare game well no that's okay i don't have to i don't have to push that button just yeah i'm just i will i will give you that leeway if you want to take it Uh, that's that's probably bullshit (laughs) (laughs) i'm just i'm I'm just i think i think i'm just making up for taking the two uh rare fps games don't feel bad about it this is fundamentally a competition it's important yeah um, don't lose that killer instinct because it's that which is going to lift Big Sammy Holdings to the top. <laughs> Trust me, Matthew Castle Productions does not need any help. Japan only. I will take uh, Bangayo, which is the other treasure game that didn't make it over to UK. They also made Mischief Makers, which um, that was the first one, and I'm guessing the sales of that is why the other two didn't. <laughs> I think the problem was because it was a 2D game. There is a bit of 2D snobbery in the. It, in the N64 era, because people are like, well, this is the 3D era, why are you making 2D games for? Which obviously now is like a preposterous idea. You know, the form is respected. But I definitely think there was a bit of snobbery. Bangao is a 2D mech shooter, incredibly arcadey. Like, you're literally blasting up giant mazes of you know, rival robots and gun turrets, and they turn into fruit. You then collect the fruit to unleash an incredible barrage of 100 missiles. When you see it in full swing, it's still pretty cool because like every missile has a trail. And, you know, I never owned this. There was a DS one. There was uh, Bango Spirits on the DS, which was uh, not a remake, but a 
very very sort of similar in spirit and that was that was rad as hell you know i remember this being another like if you if you can import a japanese n64 game like you don't have to be able to read japanese to just enjoy this insane arcadey thing not being able to have sin and punishment uh, I think Bangayo is is a weird thing that people would be able to to dig into. Uh, so I thought about this too, and I think there are only ten thousand copies made of this on N64 before it's yeah. ported to the Dreamcast. So I think that your instinct is good there. Um, I thought the, the only reason I picked Sin and Punishment is it's the I think it's the more well known of the two, and yeah. Obviously, like, you know, it's the one they re-released, so... Sin and Punishment is more of a obvious crowd-pleaser. You know, it's a 3D action character game. You know, mm. it's there's a lot more to grip onto. Bango is a lot more abstract. You know, it has the sort of treasure kind of perfection and beauty to it, but that is a harder sell. Good pick, good pick. That was um, actually, like, not as rich a font of, like, cool, interesting games I thought it would be, though, looking at this. My lasting memory of this period was longing for stuff i didn't have but that that was maybe more to do with just the incredible gap between us and uk releases that we often got and in my head that translated to there's loads of stuff we didn't get you know there are people i follow on twitter who i know listen to this podcast who have amazing japanese n64 collections who'll be like you know i could have picked i could make a mini just out of these japanese exclusives so for my eighth pick Time to rip the plaster off and pick a racing game. So every time I've seen someone playing a SNES Mini, and I mean every single time, the thing they pick up and play is Mario Kart, Super Mario Kart. So I think there's probably a game or two that may may be slightly more interesting, but I think that people will want, with their N64 Mini, a Mario Kart game. So I'm picking Mario Kart 64. Yeah. You know, there's obviously, there's always like um, a chatter over what, you know, which Mario Kart is the most important. Obviously, there are better versions of this game available, but this is still, you know, still a highlight, I would say, from from the series. I had a good time playing at the time. The tracks are really good. And I think that just, you know, these things always come with a couple of controllers, and they're like whim purchases in a lot of ways. And I think that Mario Kart is in the spirit of that. They're just pick up and the ultimate pick-up-and-play game. So, well, there's a couple of games I, I like here, I like aside from this. I think... Um, as a big obvious pick, and also the first game on my list that has Mario in the title, I think that's important. Um, I think this is a good choice. Yeah, absolute classic. Another multiplayer classic. I think between Perfect Dark, GoldenEye, and, and Mario Kart 64, you've got so many winners. Or too many winners, perhaps. <laughs> uh, isn't good for me. Um, Mario Kart is a series I don't particularly go backwards with. Yeah, I think it's um, this is probably similar, though, to your Smash Bros pick, Matthew in terms of like the ethos of it it does have its own character and it's it's um battle mode is especially good and you know people have such nostalgia for those tracks because they played them endlessly and tried to get all the best times to get on leaderboards in magazines remember when online leaderboards meant sending your time to a magazine you could take a photo of your tv and get it developed mad did you ever do that matthew uh, the only game i was ever good enough at was tony hawk pro skater 4 i don't mm. think i ever got round to like actually taking photos i had friends who did though my friends were often in n64 and i was very jealous uh good stuff then matthew so that's mario kart taken care of for me so we're on to your eighth pick uh, what a load of old piss <laughs> <laughs> well no i mean wait until you hear these picks <laughs> <laughs> So this is a bit like at the press conference. This is where you're at E3 and the the host's mic's turned on backstage and everyone <laughs> hears you say that. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, Randy, Randy Newman's just being loaded into the car. This is a load of old shit. Oh, I mean, hello. Yeah. Are you ready for the revolution? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. I feel the desire to say Turret 2 for Shooter, but I kind of hate it. <laughs> yeah. That's that's the dilemma. Like, I like the gun which drilled the f- people's brains out, but I never really got those games. It's it's pro- it's probably got to be Turret 2, but, like, the problem with that is when you just write this list and put it in that tweet, people are going to look at that and go, he likes Turret 2, doesn't he? It- and I'll be like, no, not really. Like, if you listen to the podcast... You'll hear how torn I am over this. The thing, the two I'm torn between is Turret 2 and Doom 64, because Doom 64 is held to be an interesting and good enough game that it got re-released on mm-hmm. PC. You know, it is enough of a standalone Doom with its own vibe and pace, but also truly loves it. Who's going to be like, oh yeah, Doom 64, and you can play it on loads of other things, but you can play Turret 2. Uh, I'm going to have to bite the bullet, quite literally so, and say Turret 2. Um, it's got cerebral bore. It's got um, like five levels that are all like 18 years long, <laughs> which is a really bold design. Uh, horrible checkpointing system. It's got some good gore in it. It's very much this draft's Red Faction, but it's not quite as bad as Red Faction. It's Turret 2. It's a masterpiece. Are you sure you don't want to row this one back? So... Let me just give you a scenario, right? So I post this list on the Twitter account. Yeah. The first thing people see is Shooter, GoldenEye 64, Turok 2. Now, do you think that looks better when it's Shooter, GoldenEye 64, Doom 64? Because I think I think the latter looks better, and it doesn't immediately skew you a little bit. Because people, I think, like might write off Turok as being slightly naff and stuff and like you say maybe doom's got the restored reputation i don't know why i'm doing this being i guess charity i'm being charitable but just thinking about the perception of your you list know what? i think i actually think you're right yeah. i think that's i think you, I, like i know it's terrible to pick this based on how it's going to be presented in a tweet but <laughs> i think the, the problem with the last list is that red faction in the podcast was the last one so it left it on a really sour note yeah uh here you're right people are going to see that there's no shame in Doom 64. Not at all. It's 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 respected. It's an interesting bespoke Doom. Everyone thought it was just going to be a port of Doom. Actually, it's completely its own thing. It's a surprisingly good fit for the N64 controller. Works works very well. Y- you've convinced me. Thank yeah. you for doing that. <laughs> um, yeah. Turret 2 is just... It's, fu- it's fucking rubbish, isn't it? It's Doom 64. <laughs> yeah, the thing... <laughs> what a journey you went on there. The thing is... <laughs> The thing is, right, Like I got accusations of shenanigans for, for the way that the list was posted, but I did just post it in the in the order that... Yeah, the, um... oh yeah, no, listen, it, it, like, trust me, if I thought there were shenanigans, I'd be calling shenanigans. Yeah. Uh, I love to say that word. <laughs> I love to kick off. Yeah, it's a great word. And yeah, I think that just by doing this, you don't have to apologise for your picks. And yeah. I think that's just, that puts you in a better position. I know that Turok has its fans, um, but... I think that Doom is just a more respected game. And even before it was re-released on all these different formats, people... I remember Dave Houghton, for example, was tweeting about how good Doom 64 was. So I think Listen, that, if it's yeah. good enough for Dave Houghton, it's good <laughs> enough for my mini. Okay, good. All right, I'm glad I managed to turn you around on that. I think it'll make the um, voting a bit spicier. So, yep. Good. Oh, I see. You just want there to be a bit of competition. You're like, it's no easy. If I, it's it's no fun <laughs> if I just uh, sleepwalk to victory. <laughs> no, it's just I don't want a repeat of you going. Ah, oh, sorry about Turok Two. 
you know sorry about red faction <laughs> but the rest of my games are good i don't i want you to like have picked as well as you can pick so <laughs> well, that's yeah. that's very kind that's good well now i've done a bit of workshopping on your list time to go back to mine um so okay so i'm left with a few options here for fighting and sports i'm gonna go with mario tennis okay. so i played that this week i thought you would have picked mario golf for this category i'm not much of a golf guy i think tennis games are very playable this is obviously a very basic tennis game with a lot of different characters. It does inflict Waluigi on the world, which, you know, is, <laughs> you know, reminding people of that. Not sure how people feel about it. Also has these fun, like, Bowser levels where the, um, there's, like, you know, uh, sort of, like, mad nonsense going on on them. Caused by Bowser has a bit more of that Mario flavor. But also works well as a very basic arcade tennis game. Um, not much more to say about it. Just a good, a good tennis game. And I think, Matthew, you said on a previous episode... These, like, sports Mario games were as good as they ever were on the N64. Yeah, I think so. They, it's a classic example of you establish the rules, you nail it in one, and then you spend the rest of your lives just adding garbage, like, new features to the back of the box that are never very good. Yeah. Um, I think Mario Golf on N64 is definitely held as the best Mario Golf. Mario Tennis is... It's between this and it's Game Boy Color or Game Boy Advance. What? There's one of the handhelds, which is also in contention. But in terms of the 3D Mario Tennis games, N64 all the way. Yep, yeah, I uh, feel good about that pick. And yeah, um, yeah so great uh, multiplayer game. An ama- uh, like a particularly amazing sport for four players. Like just really suits the N sixty four. I now ha- I now have like four of these different games that people can play with uh, their yeah, friends. Yeah, you their certainly do. <laughs> how have I got? I've got how many multiplayer games have I got? I've got one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but um, I mean, you have, you have to laugh, don't you? I mean, oh my god, I've got one multiplayer game. <laughs> How did this happen? How did this happen, Matthew? Oh. Oh. <coughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh. The defining feature of this console, and I've completely ignored it. <laughs> well, look, you've still got racing to go. So, yeah. you know, that will get you one, at least. Um, unless you somehow pick a single-player racing game, which would be amazing. <laughs> but, oh... Okay, so yeah, I've um, you've got two categories to go, Matthew. So what's your um, ninth pick for racing? I'm going to pick F Zero X. That was also on my list as a backup. I genuinely prefer it to Mario Kart 64. Obviously, a series we haven't seen since the GameCube days. I know everyone likes the GameCube ones because it's got the most amazing graphics of any game that was ever made. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, but the core idea of F Zero, which is just a shitload of ships going very fast over quite abstract, futuristic tracks. That's all here. Everything you need to know about that series is on the N64 version. Some people say it's super ugly. I think it's actually, like, very atmospheric. They stripped it down so that they can have 30 ships and that it can actually run okay. Uh, runs very well, I think. I think that stripping it down actually lends it this very this very distinct sci-fi look. You know, the kind of the weird sort of textures of the sort of cityscapes below and the shape of the ships themselves. Like, they're all just very interesting silhouettes rather than being specifically detailed. Just the chaos of 30 ships racing or battling. There's a really good mode where you get to knock out all the other ships. Balancing, like, boost and um, shields by going over these boost pads is really, really well done. Uh, this great risk-reward system. I love the little man who says, three, two, one, go! 
at the start of every race. That guy fucking rules. Just a, a really great, super fast, frantic game. It's got the track, which is set shaped like a big hand. That is called Big Hand, uh, <laughs> which I really like. This is fab. What a fab game. What yeah. a what a mini console selling game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a great pick. I I um I actually played this one as well in research for it for it, and I actually like still controls really nicely, plays really yeah. well, lovely and fast. Always impressed when a game like Sin and Punishment or this or Star Wars Episode One Racer manages to look like super slick. Um, even in retrospect, because there were so many smudgy, slow-looking N64 games. And so, when it's just super crisp, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, there's some uh, Nintendo magic at work there. So, mm. a good pick. Good pick for a fast racing game. Um, yeah, I absolutely would have picked this in- if uh, you'd have grabbed Mario Kart 64. So, a good choice, Matthew. So, my final pick is Platformer. Go with Banjo-Kazooie. I knew Matthew would never pick this as his Platformer. But I knew that if I got... If I went first, I knew I'd pick Goldeneye. If Matthew went second, he'd pick Mario 64. It happened that way for me. That's very fortunate for me, um, because obviously of all the aforementioned heinous bullshit I did to Matthew earlier in the draft um, (laughs) to throw him off. So I thought that Matthew wouldn't pick this, and I felt comfortable leaving it to last, but I don't think it's a bad game at all. I think it's um, actually of that kind of crop of rare platformery adventure games, it's the best one. I think that... I reviewed Banjo Tooie actually when it came out on Xbox 360, and I thought it was, if it was, it was vast, it was bigger, but I thought it was worse. I think this worked quite well because it has like smaller levels you dip in and out of, and they act as like like mini hubs. And I mm. thought that the um, I thought the character, I thought the character controlled well. I like the whole sort of like you know sort of hovering a bit off of a jump and stuff like that. Um, I think that maybe the camera placement is a bit shakier compared to Mario 64 in terms of controlling mm-hmm. the characters, but. Uh, looks really nice still, I think. Um, don't necessarily vouch for the character designs. I mean, <laughs> there might be a bit of mileage on that one, that varying on that one. <laughs> but, you know, it's at the time, I think they, I thought they were really cool. And they are definitely like, you know, firm bits of the N64 iconography, um, yeah. Banjo-Kazooie. That's why I think they make it, they definitely make sense on this system. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they, they are still platforming sort of um, silly characters from the 90s. So, um, mm. I don't know. I'm being super dismissive there. I think I think that I think this is a good pick. So Matthew, what do you make of this game? I think my big problem with Banjo Kazooie is that I don't think it it is a platforming game, but I also don't think it is much of a platforming game. Mm. I think it's a weird character ability game. I think it's a lot more about unlocking their powers, their various action abilities to sort of solve kind of puzzles in the map. There's not many stretches of like outright interesting platforming in this game compared mm. to Mario 64. That's my big problem with the rare platformers in general is I think they're they're all a bit gimmicky. The characters have so many abilities and they're locked behind quite weird combinations of buttons. It, it, they're just not a, like a, a very like elastic kind of organic platforming being as mario who's like you feel like you have all his moves to throw around here it's like well i crouch and then i hold this and then i press this and i'll shoot an egg out my ass and it it feels a little bit like you're programming like a microwave or something it's just like it's, it's not quite the same thing as as mario but they look lovely they've got very jaunty tunes um i kind of hate the whole Oh yeah, yeah, that is thing that they do. Like their vibe, it just it just doesn't gel with me. Having played them back in the day, I then this is something I I absolutely one hundred percented this when I was playing it in rare replay, and it just felt a lot flimsier to my adult mind than it did back then. I listen, it's still like a billion times better than Crash, 
Spyro, Sly, Sly Raccoon, Gex. I, I think, like, accumulatively, I've made my console tell quite a good potted history of Rare on the platform. Yeah. By taking, you know, you know, obviously the different teams within Rare, but, like, Conquer, Conquer and Banjo-Kazooie in the two shooters, I think that's, like, um, Rare is well represented there. Yeah, so you see, you see you're 100%ed Banjo-Kazooie recently. Yeah. Well, even though you don't really like it, I find that like perplexing. My not dislike for it, but like my doubts about it came out of that playthrough. Right, right, right. Because it it just felt like I looked through. <laughs> it's gonna sound really pretentious. It's like Matrix Neo looking through the Matrix. I was like, oh yeah, this isn't much of a platformer. And the, these worlds, which felt really alive, are actually here are eight interactive things, and you, each one you do one of the abilities to kind of do it. And I just it, I, I felt like I could just sort of see that see that a bit more clearly it actually isn't like mario 64 at all apart from the world structure mm. but it's it's fine it's you know it's very shiny and you know enough people like it yep. more people like that than like fucking space station silicon valley <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah i don't feel bad about picking this one i think it's um yeah i, I mean i i haven't 100 percented it but I, I got fairly deep into it i mean I can't say I really remember how it controls on 360 with the the different abilities, but I do like the idea. I think your point about platforming is completely fair, but I do like the the way it's sort of like I don't know a little bit Zelda-y or Metroid-y in terms of like how you yeah. revisit the worlds. But because Ma- Mario 64 has some of that stuff too. Probably my least favorite thing about Mario 64 is is where some people are like I love exploring those worlds, and I don't really think of Mario as an exploring character. Banjo Kazooie are exploring characters; like their move set is built for that. But I used to argue with people about this all the time, so yeah. you know I'm, I'm willing to give up on it. <laughs> okay, fair enough, Matthew. So we come to your final pick, Matthew, which is like game hmm. i was thinking about episode one racing but i i don't really like it enough i don't think you've got f-zero as well you don't need both yeah so i'm gonna actually pick indiana jones and the infernal machine wow i would never have predicted that but i suppose you are a big indie guy but it's i not, am a big i am a big indie guy um is this good uh, I played this on PC. It's the same game. This the, the N64 port came a bit later. So I played it primarily on PC. I absolutely love this game. I think this is great. I think this is like the best non-Tomb Raider Tomb Raider. Giant areas to explore. Obviously has that layer of Indiana Jones iconography, which makes it super fun. It wasn't like massively adored at the time. It wasn't like a stinker. I think both the games got like... 70 on metacritic like for me this has got like the scale exploring around it's got that indiana jones recognizable elements which i really like just brings it to life a bit more the n64 they actually had time to fix a few things with the pc version so like the combat's a little easier it has like zelda's z targeting in it so it becomes a little just a a little friend there like it makes more sense on console than it did like awkwardly banging away on a keyboard i think um as is often the case with 3d um, action platformers. Am I going to say it's it's one of the best games on N64? It's not held as one of the best games on N64, but I think a lot of people would discover this and go, oh, actually, this is pretty great. Um, I've long thought it was a game that deserved rediscovery and re-evaluation. Uh, this seems like a good opportunity to do that. I don't think it even came out in the UK on N64. No, it didn't. I think they had made it. I think people found, like, ROMs of like the finished ROMs of like the UK version, it was all ready to go and just never got never never got released for whatever reason. Um, quite late in the life in the um, lifespan of the console, yeah, it's a really great Tomb Raider game, but with Indy instead of Lara. So why the hell not? I think you've like 
I, I, I think it's swung a bit too hard for how good this is, personally. Like, I think it's like a wonky third-person game that look, looked and sounded really nice. Um, because it's uh, oh no, it's good. Life. Honestly, it's good. I really liked it. Okay, well, I mean, you know, like you say, it got mixed reviews. I personally, though, think that having this on an um, on the N sixty four mini would be like compelling. You'd be what you'd want to check it out. I think so. Yeah, you'd be like, what the hell is that? Like, it's a bit yeah. like when you can't, you know, everyone looks at a car crash, right? <laughs> I considered this for wildcard briefly because it because it didn't come out in the Europe. I thought, oh, maybe that does count as a wildcard. Yeah. I think I, I think, think it's. Yeah. I'd be like. What? There's an Indiana Jones game on the mini? That's interesting. I didn't expect that to happen. Yeah. Um, I really like Indiana Jones as well. Like, otherwise we get into the realms of, like, pod racing, which we actually had and I liked enough, but eh, Mission Impossible, ugh, had a couple of cool things, very shaky. The reason I was asking about the licensing is I was going to try and do a desperate attempt to cram in Beetle Adventure Racing. No, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, which I actually wanted for racing, but I felt like... I had I felt like I couldn't take it. I felt like I had to take something a bit more legit, but that broke my heart because Beetle Adventure Racing is a fabulous game. Um, so it goes. Wave Race sixty four is another one I thought about. Oh yeah, the draft. She'd be a cruel mistress. <laughs> yeah, as did who, whichever bastard picked these categories. I mean, Jesus, take up with them. I oh, really. I should have just come up with my list and then built the categories based on that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we've reached the end of the draft, Matthew. Let's recap then. So. We'll um we'll do it one by one, yeah. So you know, I'll yeah. read out shooter, you read I read mine, you read yours, and then we'll yeah. yeah. Okay, so these were this is what we picked for the N sixty four mini draft. So category one, shooter, I picked Goldeneye 007. I picked Doom sixty four. Category two, fighting or sports, I picked Super Mario Tennis. I picked Super Smash Brothers. Category three, racing, I picked Mario Kart sixty four. I picked F Zero X. Category four, platformer, I picked Banjo Kazooie. I picked Super Mario 64. Category 5, Action or RPG. I picked The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time. And I picked The Legend of Zelda Majora's Mask. Category 6, Licensed Game. I picked Star Wars Rogue Squadron. I picked Indiana Jones and the Infernal Machine. Category 7, Wildcard. I picked Conker's Bad Fur Day. I picked Mystical Ninja starring Gomon. Category 8, Japan Only. I picked Sin and Punishment. I picked Bangayo. Category 9, Game Made in the UK. I picked Perfect Dark. I picked Space Station Silicon Valley. <laughs> Category 10. <laughs> that one seems extreme. <laughs> Category 10. Free pick. I picked Star Fox 64 or Lilac Wars. And I picked Paper Mario. Uh, how are you feeling about that after recapping, Matthew? I'd hope to get like a bedrock of absolute unquestionable brilliance so that I could go down like the Beetle Adventure racing route. Yeah. I'd also hope to engineer a scenario where I had rocket robot on wheels for platformer <laughs> yeah because that game is legitimately good it's the best game sucker punch ever made sadly it wasn't to be i'd have let you have that for wildcard if you wanted it but, well the problem is for wildcard i had loads of other stuff i wanted yeah is it worth some honorable mentions here matthew i should, I should, I should just say to people if you want to vote on this i'll pin the poll uh, up on the um, our twitter page at Backpage pod on twitter the day that this episode goes live it should run to about the 30th of september and uh, you can vote on who picked the best games. After a few days, I will post the um, the the image with the the games that we picked, and so people can um, uh, have have that as a resource to help help decide who who won this draft. And then we'll talk about the results probably two episodes down the line. And um, and yeah, that'll be fun. But Matthew, so yeah, any honourable mentions you wanted to just bring up here, Matthew? Ten eighty snowboarding. 
in, in probably fighting sports rather than racing. Just a really different direction for Nintendo in terms of like, it's quite realistic, it's not cartoony, it's quite serious, quite po-faced, but has a really good atmosphere to it. Amazing snow, still looks still looks really fab today. Just a very nice sense of movement to it. I, th- I think that that's really, really great. Maybe be a bit more of an interesting one to have on there. Bickler Adventure Racing, like I said before, I absolutely adore that game. Had incredibly inventive tracks with full of shortcuts and weird bits where you broke off. They were really uh, like adventurous in their design and it was just really nippy fun. Kind of came out of nowhere. A real like pleasant surprise, that game. Rocket Robot on Wheels. A platforming game set in a theme park with just like very like physics heavy platforming like it was the the character had a a real sense of weight to them and you were kind of fighting that and they had a little grappling hook which was used in all these kind of physicsy puzzlers had some really like ambitious things there's like a a bit of a level where you can like design a roller coaster and then like ride the roller coaster in the level like it's it's really wild like you could you know you were like these sucker punch guys are like ones to watch and then um they blew all that (laughs) There was... Uh, I'm sure that many people who play Ghost of Tsushima will agree with that, Matthew. You know, if you want to make games where you tick off like, onto the map instead, then by all means. Can you build a roller coaster in Ghost of Tsushima? <laughs> Maybe the director's cut. Oh, right. Oh, where he goes to Roller Coaster Island. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Pilot Wing 64 had some potential for, like, quite a defining... You know, maybe wild card in a way. Bit of a softball pick, that, I thought. It wasn't quite exciting enough. In a- another 7 out of 10, with great affection... Operation Winback, which was N64's answer to Metal Gear Solid. Not a very compelling answer to. Um, Seven uh, is generous, I think. (laughs) That was funny as well, because the team you worked for were called the Special Covert Action Team, or SCAT, um, which... Uh, which is obviously great. I actually have a real soft spot as well for the N64 Castlevania games. They'd be interesting to have on an N64 Mini. So I played the first one, Castlevania, then there's another one called Legacy of Darkness. It feels a little bit like Game of the Year edition, like they added some other characters and sort of polished bits of it up. It's definitely wonky when you put it next to like Symphony of the Night. It's not what people wanted. But like I said, it's this period where people are working out what their games look like in 3D. And I would say that Castlevania has never fully worked out what it wants to do in 3D. This was a perfectly compelling take on that. Had had like really spooky stuff. Like it's actually got like a lot of vampires in it and you can get bitten by vampires, become a vampire and you're in this sort of house with a day-night cycle. It's a bit like survival horror in places. Like you're in this big creepy mansion with all these people you're trying to like lead into sunlight to like expose them as vampires you get chased by a frankenstein with a chainsaw and a hedge maze that's pretty exciting there's also a skeleton on a motorbike that's stupid castlevania is a game which i think a lot of people have a bad impression of because they've watched idiots on youtube who play one level of it and scoff at it and make a video going like lol look at this castlevania and actually if they played it they'd see that it's got a bit more going for it um, it's a classic example of a game with uh, an unfair reputation just because not enough people played it. It's no masterpiece, but it's interesting. And I also thought a little shout out for Body Harvest. I think Body Harvest is one I considered for Wildcard, but yeah. it looks a bit too ropey, I think, by it space is, it's, it's rough as fuck, but like, you know, people see the origins of GTA 3 in terms of like open world game with vehicles. Yeah, um, you have to really squint, more, but you see it. Yeah, it's a lot more like Earth Defense Force, if it's anything. Like yeah. quite low, low-fi, ropey, but you know, quite jolly game where you shoot giant insects in a range of vehicles. <laughs> um, uh, I always think Bill, Body Harvest. Whenever I think of it as well, 
N64 did a spoof of it on the back page called Bill Oddie Harvest, yeah, um, yeah. which was just a screenshot of it with Bill Oddie in it. Um, so <laughs> There was like a yeah. format of jokes they had like that. I mean, the one I always remember is Turok 2 Weeds of Evil, where right, yeah. it was a first-person shooter in like a garden, and it had like Charlie Dimmock and Alan Titchmarsh in it. It was like, you know, <laughs> the merging of video game, violent video games, and British light entertainment, Matthew. Yeah, very of that era. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Charlie Dimmock. Imagine making a Charlie Dimmock joke in a mag now. Yeah, good good picks there, Matthew. I I think that I don't have as many um, uh, honourable mentions, just as on account of the fact that I mentioned a bunch of mine as we went. I think Pokemon Snap really would have a place in this console, actually, because I don't think you can really capture late 90s Nintendo without having some reflection of Pokemon on the system. It had four Pokemon games, so two Pokemon Stadium games, which are basically pointless without red and blue to plug into them. There's no need to pick those. And uh, Pokemon Snap and Hey You Pikachu, which was only released in America. We could talk to Pikachu, but it was widely reported that it didn't work very well. So that was... Also, um... what, what's that guy got to say for himself? <laughs> well, I guess you're just talking at him. He's just going to say his own name to you. But as someone who read like Nintendo Mags at the time, I did really cover this game, the idea of this game. I thought that sounds amazing, but obviously it wasn't very good. So, um, yeah. And, I, can, um... I can't think... There are a few characters I'd rather talk to less than Pikachu. <laughs> He's not going to have any interesting opinions on art. No, that's very true. So, thought about that. Um, I I love all the Star Wars games that came out on this um, on the N64. I think I had a good run on that console. So, I thought that um, Battle for Naboo, which is also a Factor Five uh, spaceship shooter, but on more kind of land-based levels for the most part, very very good. Um, I think the fact that it was Episode One iconography and the fact that it had some ground vehicle bits meant that it wasn't as loved as uh, Rogue Squadron was. Which is fine, but I think it was actually a pretty decent game. And you can't actually get that on GOG. And so I think that um, that's kind of a little bit of a lost game. But I enjoyed that a lot of the time. There is, yeah, obviously Episode 1 Racer, which we discussed. I like Shadows of the Empire. And I thought about some kind of puzzly games for this, Matthew. Like um, Pokemon Puzzle League, people seem to like, but I didn't play that one. Um, I think there's a couple of other interesting bits and pieces. But um, generally speaking, yeah, not not much else. Most of mine is represented in the uh, in the picks we've got, so... Yeah. Mm. Any else you want to add, Matthew, before we wrap up? That's that's all good. I think I've said my piece. As I said before, look at the list <laughs> as a whole. Don't just look at the, the. Don't think, oh, I don't like this one game. Think about all the general quality of them. Think of all the new games you're going to discover. Sure. Don't think about the fact that it doesn't have Golden Eye on Perfect Dark. Think about don't anything think else. About that. Ignore that. You played those games so much. You know them <laughs> inside out. Don't you want to discover Doom 64? <laughs> yeah, I mean, who'd want to play Golden Eye again in 2021? I think the answer no is one. a lot of people. But yeah, we'll see how that goes. So it's back page pod, pinned tweet, just vote, and we'll talk about the results in a future episode. So. May the best man win. So, Matthew, I'm going to just read out a couple of our listener questions because we've gone quite long here. So um, yeah. we'll save some of those for other episodes. This is from um, Tom Doughty. It's a kind of a sequel question to a question that came up during the Indie Games episode. Uh, baffling sort of like sequence of questions which kind of pitch um, <laughs> Yushi Naka as some kind of like a criminal mastermind, which is, you know, just to be very legally clear, no one is saying is the case on this podcast. It's um, some kind of... I old... am. <laughs> it's a, this is an alternate history jokey version of 
Yushinaka, a kind of caricature that's been built up as Matthew's rival on the podcast. So no one, no one manages to convince people that like Knights is decent without having some kind of evil in them. <laughs> yeah, but I think just the way that Tom pitches him is almost like like the main character in like um, Sonatine or Hannah B, like that kind of like <laughs> wistful criminal type who's just sort of like lingering in different parts of the world. Um, the greatest, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing Square Enix to make Balan Wonderland. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. After another bungled heist, Yujinaka has once again come rushing to your house to avoid the law. While hiding behind a curtain, Yujinaka's stomach starts to rumble, yep. so you decide to take him to JC's kitchen to calm him down. Luckily, there is only light cloud cover in the sky, so the meat tent is open for business. What menu items do you decide to feed Yujinaka to make him happy again? Thanks, Tom. What's um? <laughs> <laughs> um, so the wrap is a classic, as is the bubble and squeak. I feel like. The noodles are maybe a safe bet, just because it's a bit lighter. Um, he does noodles. It's always the same meat, but he mixes them in with like um, a different kind of pro- uh, different carb, basically. Matthew, what do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm like strictly a bubble and squeak guy. Bubble and squeak with whatever that is it blue cheese he puts on it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. that's real good. That is good. I've um, it's funny because I, I did go there fairly recently and like that um, young man who runs the tent. I haven't seen the the main dude for quite a while the um you know i don't know if he is called jc but the guy who runs jc's kitchen i think jc is jesus christ <laughs> yeah we did establish that in a previous episode um <laughs> yeah. yeah and he just he's just been sweating all summer serving people meat and i feel kind of bad for him i was saying to him oh i, I feel like i should like dab your forehead like a, a nurse does to a doctor um <laughs> while you serve me meat um and I, I maybe that was a bit of an odd conversation starter but he seemed to appreciate <laughs> it <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, I think um, Bubble Squeak's a good shout. I think the wrap, though, is really good because you can have it with a variety of sauces. So I think that that should make Yushinaka happy. Where he goes after that, I don't know. I don't know where the whole heist thing even came from. What a fucking strange like strand of our podcast this is. But I <laughs> appreciate the question, Tom. Anything more to add, Matthew? I'm sure Yushinaka will love it. Yep, cool. Love that Bubble and Squeak. That'll, that'll settle his tummy in no time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. So uh, here's, what, here's one from Mark. Hi guys, sincere apologies if I missed this on a, po- on a pod, but not sure we ever got to hear your takes on Monster Hunter Rise. Last we heard, I think a copy was on Sam's bedside table, and Matt was unsure about including it in a birthday wish list. Personally, it's been the Monster Hunter game that finally got me into the series, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. That's from Mark. So, PS Love the Podcast, favourite game space discovery of 2021. Thanks for doing what you do. Thank you very much. So, Matthew, what do you make of Monster Hunter Rise? I haven't played it. I've watched Catherine play it, and my very boring take is core... How does that run on Switch? That looks a bit good. She seems to always be run- sitting on the back of some giant beast. I should probably play this before our you know, Games of the Year chat at the end of the year. That list is massive, by the way. I've got so much stuff I need to have an opinion on by the end of the year. But I will have one. If <laughs> I it think kills me, I'll have I- an opinion. I audited my list, Matthew, and I've only had I've only got six games that I can put on there so far because I've been playing so many old games this year. So, yeah, that'll be a, I've got a bit of a rush before the end of the year. That'll be fun. The games industry is no stranger to licensing deals, both epic and questionable. After a successful few years of strong revenue and positive press, Big Sammy Holdings and Matt Castle Productions are ready to strike some deals. What licensed product would you look to create for your respective companies? Coffee table books, action figures, gamer chairs, board games, etc.? And what will make them on brand for your company? For example, a branded Monopoly game where Mayfair is replaced with JC's Kitchen. Holy <laughs> shit. How did JC's Kitchen become so synonymous with this podcast? Um, that's David Burrows, our Ubisoft pal, who um, will regret sending me this question when I ask him for a copy of Far Cry 6 in about two weeks. So that'd be good. But, um, 
what's your take on this, Matthew? What are the Matt Castle Productions um, merchandise? I feel like it has to be some kind of sweets, right? Right. But does that count as merchandise? Do people like merch that they eat and so it no longer exists? Could you, like, get a sort of special brand of Rennie and then when you redeem a code, you get, like, in-game extras for, I don't know, Hotel Dusk HD or something? I don't know. <laughs> well, like a Rennie box, but with, like, Halo on the outside. <laughs> yeah, basically, yeah. I'd say, this... like, if you want to get the new rumbly tummy emote, you need to get this Rennie. Um... <laughs> Yeah, maybe like a stick of rock. Yeah. That that I think that blurs the line between like sweets and something you keep forever on a shelf because it's, you know, it's already rock art. What's it going to do? Get get harder than rock? Impossible. Yeah. So that with like, I don't know, my face running through it. Yeah, okay, fair, fair enough. Yeah, very strange, but in keeping for sure. Um, uh, a diorama of a collapsing car with Randy Newman in it, perhaps. Um, yeah, or maybe because we've got the whole uh, Forza Horizon thing going on with Playground, like a range of um, like dangly, like air fresheners shaped like legendary figures from Matt Castle Productions. So, yeah, like a, a lovely smelling Shutakumi face. Because I always think, <laughs> you know, if you look at him, he looks like he smells pretty fresh. <laughs> This is getting weirder and weirder every time we talk about Shutakumi. We have to draw the line at you sniffing his face. He seems like a very clean man. Like, there are some devs you're like, uh. And there are some devs you're like, oh, yeah. I bet he's clean. <laughs> well, yeah. Matthew, if I don't draw the line at you sniffing you, a Shutakumi's face, where do I draw the line, frankly? Um, <laughs> well, no, no, you're not sniffing it. It's hanging there in your car. <laughs> no one sniffs the magic tree, like, up close and personal, do they? <laughs> Who puffs on a magic tree? <laughs> Snorting magic tree. Uh, okay, <laughs> Jesus Christ, what a cursed bunch of objects. Um, I think that uh, I was thinking about this, like T-shirts. Maybe we do. Um, we'd adapt different Hideo Kojima uh, tweets into T-shirts. I think. Oh, so that's good. we'd make a fake. Um, you know how he pitched that Mad Max game? It was like the ultimate Hideo Kojima tweet. It happened a few weeks ago, where he was like pitching a game at Mads Mikkelsen. And it just sounded very intense and ridiculous. And probably Mads Mikkelsen was baffled. But yeah, he pitched, um, I think, a project called Mads Max um, featuring Mads Mikkelsen. And we turned Mads Max into some kind of um, shirt. We'd have a farewell sausage shirt as well. That was another um, Kojima classic. I mean, there so are so many. That's a food product waiting to happen. Yeah, I think selling sausages with Hideo Kojima's name on it is a bit too cursed, though. I feel like it's just. <laughs> I've, t- I've taken things in the wrong direction. I feel like we're trying to keep things a bit classier. Um, Big Sammy Holdings. We don't want to make it too British and weird. Whereas Matt Castle Productions, it's like, here's a stick of rock with literally the CEO's face on either end of it. And like, you may think that's good, but I don't know. I'm, I'm on that the fence about um, So yeah, that'd be good. And then just to annoy Matthew, we would like widely distribute Hollow Knight Silk Song USB sticks. Um, just to really stick it to Matt Castle, who's sick of hearing me talk about the fact that i've got hollow knight silk song out of that draft so um admit it yeah. like you're looking at that studio purchase now and you're like where's the game can you guys hurry it along a bit you must be thinking that a bit well i mean i would be thinking that but you know i own arcane which just made death loop so i don't know things are looking pretty good and you know maybe we'll start talking about gta 6 in the meantime who knows matthew um mm. i don't know i don't have to fight that battle anymore i have um i've already won so it's okay but the draft in this episode, that's up for grabs. So go to Backpage Pod and vote. 
and um, we'll see who had the best N64 games. But Matthew, it was a pleasure doing this with you. I hope you enjoyed it still. Yeah, it was, was, this was good fun. Very stressful. Uh, <laughs> it, it but I think, I, think we, I think we got somewhere interesting in the end. <laughs> I think so, yeah. I'm quite, uh, I'm actually knackered after doing this one. I think um, I was just so emotionally invested in sabotaging you at the start there that I, um, I just, after that, <laughs> I just lost all my, um, lost all my energy. So good stuff. So, yes, go vote at Backpage Pod, but we'll be back next week with another episode. I won't say what it is yet, but we've got rather a good special guest planned. Um, if uh, that doesn't materialise, I'll never talk about it again. But I think it, I think it's going to be a good one, isn't it, Matthew? You excited about that episode? Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think people will really dig that one. So, if you'd like to follow the podcast, it's Backpage Pod. I'm Samuel W. Roberts on Twitter. Where are you, Matthew? I am Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. If you'd like to leave a review for the podcast, many of you have. We've had a bunch of them coming in. We've got more than 80 in the UK now, which is uh, fantastic to see. Leaving a review on Apple Podcasts really helps us with finding um, new listeners, so we really appreciate it when you do that. Otherwise, we'll be back next week. Goodbye. Bye for now. <laughs> しなくなる俺は機械だ鉄人だ今解き放てよう鋼の魂ビッグウィーンブレイクダウン悪い奴らを打ち壊せ必殺必殺限界パワーが百裂パンチ<音楽><音楽><音楽>